Hey everyone, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid, Lucid Lab. Lab. We survive Vegas. Barely. <laughs> you're right, barely. <laughs> what did we commit to, I think, the last time we recorded? We weren't going to get too drunk, which I think we did pretty good there. No, we did do good there. Yeah, I we, think so. Yeah, I, I think we only had one night where we got a little silly, but nothing crazy. No, like not crazy. In the terms of Vegas, for sure. Uh, we survived the heat. We didn't go out very much. No. I did go out walking one day with some of the other girls. Jessica stayed in because she would have melted, like we said, <laughs> or burst into flames. But it was so hot when we were walking. Like, did I you get felt, confused? I felt lightheaded. Mm. It was weird. I don't think I've experienced that before, but... We definitely needed to stop and go inside places and get water. Mm. I don't know how people yeah. do it out there. But I don't think you're supposed to be in that kind of heat. Your body is trying to regulate it and can't. it's not doing it. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I'm still a little hoarse. Like, I think we were talking really loud in Vegas and I noticed I still have a little bit of rasp to my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I still have not slept. Yeah, you haven't caught up. Because we had a 7 a.m. flight out, so we had to leave our hotel at like 4.40 in the morning. Yeah, that was not fun. And so I just didn't sleep, and then I came back, had to get my daughter, and it just never happened since. <laughs> so just in a deficit. I feel like I am finally caught up now after uh -huh. a week. I guess it hasn't really been a full week. We've been back since Sunday, but... I have been taking naps where I can and going to bed much earlier than I normally do. I think because my body is like, you didn't sleep at all while we were in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. We were sharing rooms and I, yeah. don't, I just don't sleep well when I'm not at home anyways. And then add to it that we were out late when we were leaving to go to the airport or getting ready that night whatever everybody's packing up. So we're ready. Some of the other girls were still out and Kendra and I were like, we're going to go back to bed and like we're going to get ready and we'll be ready to go. But I couldn't fall asleep. And I realized yeah. it's because I left this light on for my roommate, Heather. I mm -hmm. loved meeting her after tossing and turning for like an hour and a half. And I was like, I need to turn off that light and I'm going to go turn on the bathroom light so she at least can see, see her something. way in. Yeah. And then it was right when I turned that off. It was like 10 minutes later that she came back in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I guess I'm not sleeping. <laughs> I fell asleep. Jessica and I did not go. Uh, several of the girls went to see a Cirque du Soleil show and we chose to do it's, something else, which yeah. we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but we got back. I think I got in bed at like midnight, fell asleep. But then my roommate came in, yeah. Elizabeth, who we've <laughs> talked about, and she came in around 1.30. Exactly. But I think I yeah. fell asleep again pretty quick. But then another thing that stopped it is my mom is, she's the sweetest. And she knew we had an early flight. Mm -hmm. But I think when I told her that we have to leave at 4.40, I think she thought our flight's at 4.40. She called me at 3 a.m. Oh, <laughs> trying to be helpful. Yeah. And, you're like, That's and I'm like, mom. Sweet, but that did not help so me. So I literally got maybe 30 minutes of sleep <laughs> <laughs> that entire night. But we survived bad. it and we, we, I think we had a really good time. It was we a didn't have group. a good time, except I left injured. Yes, we both did. We had, yours you, was you're on injured a, more than me. Yeah, yours was on a cushiony yes. spot. I hurt my butt. <laughs> I'm a big old bruise. My, I was wearing these platform shoes and I hit it on the stone on the floor and I fell over and took Kendra with me. <laughs> 
and her butt hit the ground, but my arm hit one of those. What would you call them? It's like the poles that they put up to like cordon off where people can't go. Yeah. Like, or, or the lines to like help people know where to right. go, like for check in kind of things. They had those in different places throughout the hotel, and that's what we were lucky enough to fall into. Yeah. My arm fell into that, and my knee hit the stone. Yeah. Hard. And I'm still very injured. I'm covered and they both hurt still. This is a week later. And as we've said before, you never injure yourself in like a cool way. It wasn't like we were, you know, go go dancing at a club or something fun. We were just walking, barely walking, barely (laughs) walking. You just caught like a weird spot in the floor and it took you down. And that's just me. And before we knew it, we were both on the ground. And I'm like, sorry, Kendra. She's (laughs) like, I'm good. She didn't notice a bruise on her ass until she got home. I got home and I was like, what is that? That was fun. Lots it of was people fun. saw. <laughs> yeah, it was very embarrassing. That's not the first time I have fallen in a hotel on my knees. I did that in North Carolina because there was this big step down and I like missed it. Both of my knees hit the floor and it was kind Ouch. of the same thing, a stone situation. So they hit hard. Like I just landed straight on them. Yeah. My knees were bad for almost like two years, honestly, the scars from that situation. So I'm like, I'm just not going to have a knee at some point. I'm going to have to get knee replacements. I'm going to have to be a bionic girl. <laughs> I think all of our knees give out eventually. I don't want I mean, to. Though. My mom has had knee replacements. My boyfriend's had three knee surgeries. Oh. You know, he's done a lot of cool stuff, though. He's like Mr. Adrenaline. But yeah, it happens. Yeah. To us all. But I did want to talk about our cool experience oh, in yeah. Vegas. Yeah. It so was awesome. It was. It. We went to an escape room there. Yeah. I think we talked about it on one of the other episodes. We did. We were joking that nobody would probably want to go with us and we were correct. Yeah. <laughs> no one, it was funny. We told the girls, we're like, we're going to go to this escape room. It's themed like the movie It. And they're like, ooh, <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> and then you mentioned to me when we came back that there was a Blair Witch one. And there I was like, is. gosh darn it. I didn't realize it. I might have so chose that over I it. I probably would have too because Blair Witch was one of my favorites. Yeah. There's basically a production company out in Vegas and I looked this guy up and he creates experiences based on horror movies. And there's one that is Saw themed. I don't know about that one. because I'm not really into the movies where the entire purpose is just to mutilate people. Yeah. I mean, I'll watch them. I liked the first Saw because it had a really good It was twist. so different, right? You know, it was different. Yes. It hadn't been done before. But then all the other ones, I'm like, this is just about the gore now. Yeah, I don't like the gore And factor. it's like, I don't want to see people dying for no reason. I like the psychological terror part of it. Yeah. Like it That's the was fear. in the first movie. Yeah, Blair Witch would be really cool. And they're all multiple rooms. So it's not like a regular escape room where you just go in one room and have to get out. Like this one, you have to go through multiple rooms. The one we went to that was it themed had Pennywise hanging out. Mm-hmm. And he was my buddy the entire time. We, we kept ending up at the back. It was a group of, so it was me and Jessica. And then and I always threw Kendra in front of me and <laughs> so it was just me every time. But they're not allowed to touch you and I had to remind You're myself just like, of they that can't when I knew me. he was like 10 inches away every time. It's creepy even though you know it's a person in a mask because the vibes and everything. But we showed up and there was one other couple and then this group of, I don't know, what was it like five teenage yeah. guys? And you wouldn't believe how funny it is when it goes dark <laughs> in the room these five teenage boys are like putting us in front of them and then the couple put his girlfriend exactly (laughs) the teenagers kept running over me finally one of them after like the 10th room was like i'm sorry i keep stepping on your feet knocking you over essentially and i was like thank you because you guys just 
bulldoze me every time you get scared. <laughs> they were funny. Because I'm not as scared, you know. Right. And you guys will be like all in a huddle in the middle and I'm the one that's like walking the perimeter where Pennywise is going to jump out at me and I'm just like, oh, what's this? <laughs> I remember at one point we did see him and I was like, oh, he's not that scary. And I said something to him when did we you? were in the outside house. I was like, nice hair or something. I don't know. At least I didn't <laughs> hug him. I mean, I did hug that one guy at a different place. Yeah. I did get smacked in the face because we were walking into the room first one time and there was like a point where he was sticking his hand through oh. and he couldn't see and he his hand came out and right went into oh, my no, face. I didn't see that. Because I was the first one going in the room and I was like, whoa, hi. <laughs> and then there was that part where we were walking down. It was like a hallway and it was all clothing. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was the like closet. Tight, the closet. And it's like the guy who was meant to stick his hand out and scare everybody was like, I don't know. He went on break and he was late because all of you guys, because I'm last. Yeah. Because <laughs> Pennywise just chased us. All of you guys had gotten into the other room and I'm like coming up behind you guys and just randomly I see a hand stick out. <laughs> Like like, behind all of us. Yeah. And I was like, you're late. (laughs) Because he was Pennywise, he had to chase us and then he had to run there to stick his hand through. I'm doing it all, okay? (laughs) There's only one. And he's like, and there's multiple groups. I've got to scare tonight. But it was so Tight fun. Budget. <laughs> each room, like we didn't know each other and yeah. we all had to come together and figure out all these puzzles and everybody just became. It was so fun. cool. It, it was, was fun. a really neat experience. Mm-hmm. It really was. And every room had a completely different puzzle. And also the level of detail they did to make each of the rooms was really cool. I thought so. And they yeah. had like fog machines and just this eerie vibe everywhere. I yeah. thought it was awesome. It was so fun. We couldn't take any pictures, obviously. They don't want you to do that. But we did take a couple pictures outside. And they're not as fun. No. But we'll post them. We left and we're like, let's go to a bunch more. And I'm like, there's not that many. Well, there are more, (laughs) but we have to be in Vegas. They're only in Vegas, uh, the themed ones. I wonder if we can find some more here, though. There are other horror themed ones. Um, Most of them are in like New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago. Should we create one? I don't know. Maybe that should be our next Do we have the business money? venture. <laughs> Lucid Lab escape room. <laughs> Lucid Lab horror company. I don't know. Let you us know if it. you guys want to uh, donate like, I don't know, $5 million. We'll set something <laughs> up. <laughs> we have ideas. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Lots no of ideas. Exactly. No That's how no it money. always works. When you have money, you have no ideas. And when you have ideas, you have no money. Yep. Just the way the world works. It is. We just have to find people who like us enough to give us money. Yes. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. It's it true. Unless you're made of money, people support you and they fund you. Yes. And you come up with the business plan. And obviously it was sold out almost every single time slot. And when I was looking at the Blair Witch and the Saw one, it said that they sell out every day as well. So wow. the guy who created these, it's doing really well. And we took an Uber and we like went 30 minutes out of the city yeah. to go to this middle of nowhere. Middle warehouse. of nowhere. <laughs> we're just like sitting there. We're like, it's like there's a Costco across the street, but it's for businesses. But there was no people whatsoever. I was like, we're not in Vegas anymore, honey. It was weird. <laughs> and the Uber driver, as he's pulling up, he's like, oh, yeah, this used to be an old furniture store. And then you were like, are we at the right place? And I'm like, it literally says, welcome to dairy. <laughs> And then while we were driving, do you remember the Uber driver was like, yeah, this area used to be the real ghetto, but yeah, it's okay was. now. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'm like, that's okay. It looks like Albuquerque. I'm used <laughs> to that. <laughs> Jessica's like, what? This is my hometown. <laughs> well, other than that, we had a great time, great trip celebrating our friend's 40th birthday. And it was really fun. I'm ready to go back to Vegas again, but 
I think I will choose to go back when it's not 110. So maybe like fall time frame. I was actually talking to my kids and told them about the escape room. And my youngest also wants to go to the Meow Wolf there. So we may do a quick little weekend trip to Vegas sometime. We did pass that when we were driving. Mm -hmm. Was that Omega Mart? Yeah. Yeah. So my kids are like, whoa, there's a haunted museum there. There's the Meow Wolf. There's the escape rooms and then Cirque du Soleil. So I told them maybe we'll do that for spring break or something. That's good. Yeah. But Mirage won't be there anymore. When are they doing that? I don't know. The Mirage is coming down to become a hard rock guitar shaped hotel. Mirage is past its prime. We did get to go there. Yeah, we went there for dinner one night and it still looked pretty to me. Didn't seem like it was dying, but we weren't staying in the room. So yeah, the rooms might be (laughs) falling apart. And I think but Paris, you know what? You owe us some free trips. And I'm going to say this right now Mm -hmm. because we went through some shit at your hotel. Yeah, we did. Nothing worked. No, I think they need to remodel. We spent two and a half days asking for blankets. We were freezing. We had sheets on our beds and that was it and we begged everybody called I went down nobody got blankets you ended up getting them eventually and then nobody else did and then yes. the internet didn't work the entire time no. and then we leave and apparently there was some they charged us for premium internet premium <laughs> internet charge per room and I'm like excuse me I'm like we could not get on the internet the whole time and they charge you a resort fee that's supposed to cover the internet mm. it did not it did not so nothing works and there's no phone service no phone service I have oh, no phone oh, service oh I see what you mean your cell phone yeah, yeah I had one bar the whole time yeah. so it was disappointing in that way and we paid a lot of money to stay there yeah it's not cheap so Paris needs to step it up step it up Paris you're right in the middle of the shite I mean your hotel's really beautiful though I mean yeah the food was really good that we I ate really there. loved eating at the, the Eiffel Tower, Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it was really fun. We did one big expensive dinner and it was very expensive. It was. It was fun. What'd you spend? I spent $150 on one meal. <laughs> Mine was 165 Yeah. Okay, we were close. <laughs> I don't usually do that. No, I don't either. <laughs> Ever. And then what I thought was so funny because I really wanted to do Hell's Kitchen, mm-hmm. but some of you had already done it. And I'm like, well, I got to try something from Hell's Kitchen. And they had the beef Wellington. Yeah, they had the beef Wellington, but it came with peas. Yes. I like peas, but I wasn't feeling like peas. And I'm like, I want the asparagus. And when I asked the server, who was really nice, we really liked her. She was French. Yeah, she was French. And she looked at me in like this death stare. Like, (laughs) you're going to ask me to go ask the chef to change his creation? (laughs) And I was like, yes, I am. Because next to me, she's getting asparagus with her meal. So I'm not asking for something new. You can make a batch together. (laughs) But she lost it on me right there in that moment. I'm like, I don't want peas. That's not going to make me happy with this beef. Wellington, I would like the asparagus. And then they're basically like, then just order a completely different dish. They wanted no substitutions because I guess, you know, very high class chefs take that as an insult. I wasn't trying to insult him. I just didn't want to taste peas. And I don't blame you. So anyways, it was a great experience. It was. It was fun. And we had some good wine and some good drinks there too. And now we're back. And now we're back to regular life. Are we ready to get into what I'm talking about today? Let's do it. I'm talking about the famous story of Betty and Barney Hill, mm-hmm. the original alien abduction story. Yes. I ran across this one when I was researching Travis Walton. So I'm really curious to hear all the details. Some people say that he was influenced by this story and copied some of what they said. Hmm. So I'll be curious to see that. I guess so. Now I'm trying to think back on the things that you said. 
This is very detailed, by the way. So we'll Good. see. I'll listen and see if I see any parallels. But before we get into the story, I have to bring up, since you're talking about aliens, did you see that the Congress said aliens exist now? I did. I did see that. And according to TikTok, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> We're all like, cool. Yeah, we know aliens exist. Can you um, make it cheaper to live? Yeah. Unless you come knock on my door and say hello, then, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a really funny, I mean, I've seen multiple memes or reels about it and it like they built this whole graph and it said aliens are real. They're like, will they pay my rent? And it says <laughs> yeah. no. And it, you keep going down. And it's like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I remember that. And it's like, oh, well. <laughs> I think we are all just becoming so blase about everything yep. because it feels like every fucking week since 2020, some unprecedented event is happening and we're just like, OK, whatever. Well, every time the government announces something life changing, I'm like, what are you trying to distract us exactly. from? Exactly. What's happening? Because now they're like, oh, Marburg is going to kill everybody. It's not here in the U.S. yet, but maybe. A new virus. It's kind of like Ebola, where you just die and bleed to death. I do not want to die in the way that Ebola people die. That is horrible. You hemorrhage. I can never get that movie out of my head, ever. No. So I'm like, they are doing something else. The aliens, everybody's known for a while. You know, it doesn't really matter. I think it's funny when I see those videos of people who have evidence and they're videotaping it and other people will come on and they're like, that's convenient that you have video all of a sudden when the government just announced it. I'm like, where have you been? These videos have been around for like ever. (laughs) And people have been calling them crazy. It's just that now you're (laughs) being like, oh, that's convenient. (laughs) Okay. But Betty and Barney were probably the OG abduction case. So this is where it all started. And they were probably thought of as crackpots. So I'm by some. Yeah. But I would say that they're pretty respected people. Good. All right. Let's get into it because it's a long one. Yeah. Okay. So Betty and Barney Hill. We'll talk about just who they were growing up a little bit. Barney Hill was born July 20th, 1922 in Newport News City, Virginia. He was the descendant of an Ethiopian freeman, and his great-grandmother was the daughter of a plantation owner during slavery. Because of her fair skin, she was raised in the house. She was still legally a slave, but she grew up and got married, and her father, this owner, gave her and her husband 250 acres of land in Virginia. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. The land became profitable as it was passed down, and his uncle gained possession His uncle cared for him and his siblings when his mother fell ill. Over time, he looked at his aunt and his uncle as his parents, and it was a shock to him when his mother wanted them back. They didn't want to leave because it was this beautiful farm, Yeah, but they had to move back to Philadelphia. And although his parents were poor, they never went without. So he remembers when he was younger, his parents told him and his siblings that Santa couldn't make it Mm -hmm. because his sled broke down. So they went Mm. to bed really sad and they woke up to their doorknobs tied so they couldn't get out. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do that to my siblings. You would like tie the doorknobs to the doorknobs so nobody could get out of their rooms. But Barney found a way to squeeze through and he let his siblings out and they all ran downstairs and there was a tree and every present, everything they had asked for. Their parents were like, oh, I guess guess he came. (laughs) He had... 
this loving home, but he was also aware of the prejudice outside his home. Yeah, that was a tough time. Yeah. In the probably, what, 30s? He's I mean, as 30s, a child, 40s. yeah. Yeah. Once finding out from a friend, there was a group of boys threatening that they would beat him up if they saw him outside of his neighborhood. So Barney, instead of just dealing with that, he went ahead and biked over to the boys' home and <laughs> went to the backyard where he knew they hung out. And he's like, I'm I'm here. Here. <laughs> I understand you guys are looking for me. And they're like, yeah, we are. And one of them tried to fight him and he won. And he's like, I'll fight you all. And I'll leave my street whenever the fuck I want. So he's got some yeah. gumption. <laughs> they backed down and he didn't have to deal with that anymore. He wanted to become a structural engineer and his school advisor told him there was no future for Negroes in that field and that he needed to select a different course for college. Oh, that's horrible. But it did have an effect and Barney decided instead to go into the military. Mm. He served three years in the army. He had some issues there, too, with bullying. He ended up having to box a man that was 30 pounds heavier than him, and he won. Good, he's scrappy. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, he was married, and his first son, also Barney, was born while he was serving, and then Daryl, his second son, was born after he came home. So now to Betty Hill. Her original name is actually Eunice Barrett. I'm not sure when she started going by Betty. Because I've heard different videos and different things where people do refer to her as Eunice. So I'm not really sure. Betty was just a cooler name. For that time, I think so. Yeah. She was born June 28th, 1919 in Newton, New Hampshire. Her family had three tracts of land in York, Maine, which were purchased in 1637. So they had a long history. Quite a presence there. Yeah. She was proud of her lineage. And throughout her family's history, many of her family members fought for unpopular causes. She loved to read and she was very smart. I read that her mother used to have to limit her to one book a day. Well, <laughs> fast reader. That's awesome. I wish my daughter would love books like that. Right. Well, I used I used to read a lot as a kid. They didn't have TV or iPads. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Our kids don't read as much because they have so many other options nowadays. I wish though. Yeah. I tried. I think we all try. I listen to podcasts or audiobooks more than anything. Have you seen my bookcases? My only want in life is to go read my books. Yeah, but we like have I'm other ready. shit going on. <laughs> I just want to read. <laughs> when I'm like retired, I'm just going to read all day, every day. I'm going to be <laughs> the lady that has an entire room like Beast and Bell, and it's just going to be books. Mm-hmm. That is my dream. But as a child, she was constantly working little jobs. She was doing little projects. She always wanted to find a way to like earn money. <laughs> she would pick berries herself and sell them. She would actually make a really good profit. I respect this girl. (laughs) I know. Her mother was passionate about causes as well. She helped organize for labor unions, held strikes, and became a member of the union's executive board, which isn't bad for this little girl to be looking up to. No. Growing up, Betty was not exposed to people of color often, but she lived across the street from an interracial couple when she was a child and she heard remarks of others against the couple. Betty's mother was very open and impressed upon Betty that people of color are just like everyone else and anyone who says otherwise is wrong and that the bad things that they say are wrong. And she told her that if you heard anyone say bad things, that she should speak up without hesitation and stand for what is right. That's awesome. Which is really good for her mom. This is a long time ago. You know, this is and they're progressive then. You said they're in Maine, too, is a very probably white. Now, I believe they are in New Hampshire. Her family came from Maine originally. Yeah. But probably New Hampshire is pretty white at that time, too. Probably. 
Yes. I mean, it still is today when I drove through New Hampshire and Maine. It's very, (laughs) um, very much like Colorado, (laughs) Fort Collins. I was going to say Colorado. Yeah, maybe in certain areas of Colorado. When I moved, yeah, when I moved from Texas, I was used to so much diversity. And then I moved into Fort Collins, Colorado, and I was like, oh, everyone's Um, white. And I'm from Albuquerque, which is just a big mix of everyone. A big, big mix. That's what I grew up with in Texas. So it was very, I never noticed it, I guess, until I moved here. I was like, oh, not everywhere is like where all people mix, you know? I grew up not having any knowledge of difference between races yeah at all in fact my very first boyfriend was black Mm -hmm. hi ricky (laughs) like (laughs) that's awesome and my second boyfriend was also ricky but he was white (laughs) apparently there was rickies this is elementary school is what i'm talking about i just liked him and my teacher actually called my mother to say this is inappropriate are you kidding no wow and that's the first time i was given a lesson on skin color as a child, you're so innocent and you just like people because they're people. And yes. it's like, why are we taught by society to view anyone differently? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's like all. they're people. Are they nice to me? Are they funny? Exactly. That's what matters. Who cares? But it just yeah, sucks it is. That. It sucks that that is given to or is put upon children. And I might have even not had that experience until later if it wasn't for a teacher who felt like she needed to intervene because we liked each other. Like, what are you going to do? You're in elementary school. You're going to hold hands, if anything. (laughs) I know. Although I remember being like, we're still boyfriend and girlfriend. And I saw him kiss another girl behind the scenes. We were in a play. Oh, no. It was James and the Giant Peach. Oh, my God. And I was like, I was coming off of the (laughs) stage and I saw him lean over and kiss another girl. And I was like, we're done, Ricky. (laughs) Not cool, Ricky. He was saving that special. You were special. But then the other Ricky, it was really, really funny. There was a note that was passed around the school and me and him met at recess. We were standing in the middle of this big concrete United States map that was Mm -hmm. like on the ground and everybody came during recess. It was scheduled and me me and Ricky, we leaned forward and we... (laughs) And everybody's like, ooh, ooh, ah, oh my God, they kissed. It was literally like the most uncomfortable thing ever. I, yeah, I can imagine. All day I was like, I regret this decision. <laughs> You're like, I did not want to be part of that. And I was like, what, in second grade? <laughs> I don't even remember. Things move fast in Albuquerque. <laughs> this was Rio Rancho, okay? It's the oh, suburbs. Okay. Anyway, back to Betty. Betty then went on to befriend a girl at her university. She was the only black girl to join the school. Mm -hmm. She was discriminated against and Betty often saw her alone in corners and she just felt this rage grow inside her for how everybody was treating her and how they would talk about her. And as her mom told her, Betty would speak up and eventually she ended up going to her. Her name was Anne and Betty became the strength for her. Anne often, because of the bullying, wanted to leave school And Betty would pretty much force her to stay like literally don't let them get like you hold her like my daughter holds me when I'm trying to leave. Yeah, she's just not letting me. She's like, you can't go. Today I dropped her off to her father. And you know what she said? What? She hugged me so hard on my neck. And as she's not letting me go because she does this, she will not let my neck go. She goes, the podcast dies today. Not Cause today. Because she, she knew th- that's what I was doing. <laughs> she was so like, <laughs> wow, that's pretty <laughs> ominous. <laughs> it was really funny, though. It made me laugh. <laughs> but, well, because of Anne, but also because of Betty's just support of her, because she was the only one. Anne ended up graduating. She went on to Harvard and she became a professor. Awesome. So, yeah, Anne. And I'm not entirely sure of how Betty and Barney met or when, but they were friends first. 
They were drawn to each other because of their intelligence and mutual interests. Both having been through divorces, they also connected in that way. They married in May of 1960, but they didn't live together right away. Distance actually kept them apart. Barney was living in Philadelphia and Betty was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Barney was eventually able to get a job transfer to Boston in March of 1961. And that's when he moved in with Betty. Okay. Despite living in the same house, though, Betty and Barney didn't have much time to spend with each other. Betty worked from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, and Barney worked the graveyard shift in Boston, 60 miles away. Wow, that's rough for a newlywed couple. They're like, I get to see you for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, so maybe it They were together until his death, so... Yeah. As you may have figured out, they're a mixed couple. You would think at the time they would have received a lot of criticism and discrimination, but they actually didn't. Barney was wary of rejection in public places, but he never actually experienced it with Betty. Mm -hmm. They had a great group of friends and Barney's sons, Barney Jr. and Daryl, took to Betty easily. They were proud, dedicated civil rights activists. Barney was a legal redress chairman of the Portsmouth NAACP and member of the State Advisory Board of the United States of Civil Rights Commission and the board of directors of the Rockingham County Poverty Program. So he's doing very good things. Impressive. Yeah. He even received an award for this work. He also worked as an assistant dispatcher for the post office in Boston at night, which I mentioned his overnight job. Betty was a social worker for the state of New Hampshire, handling over 120 assignments at a time, which is too much because kids need more attention than that. That's the unfortunate part of social work. I know. They're always overrun with cases and not enough people. No. And she also worked as an assistant secretary and community coordinator for the NAACP and a United Nations envoy for the Unitarian Universalist Church. So she was also very busy. Yeah. And impressive. They were. Yeah. They're doing good things for the world. So skipping forward now, Barney and Betty are now married, both working a lot, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) They're worn out. Barney was feeling a bit spontaneous. On September 14th, 1961, he got a wild idea and decided that they should go on a trip, a late honeymoon. Barney wanted to surprise Betty with a trip to Niagara Falls because Betty had never seen it. Mm -hmm. She immediately accepted and they left on September 15th, early in the morning. They took the scenic route to Niagara Falls and up through Montreal before heading back home on September 19th, 1961. Okay. They were making their drive from the Canadian border down Highway US-3 through the White Mountains on their way back home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. They had their dog with them. It was a dachshund named Delcy, who they had got just a few weeks before their trip. They were driving Betty's 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air hardtop. It was a night drive, which wasn't originally planned, but they heard about a hurricane coming and didn't want to be away from home when it happened, as other hurricanes a few years prior had done some damage. Yeah, understandable. Along their drive through Colebrook, they saw a single restaurant and they decided to stop as they weren't sure if they would see another one. By the way, in looking up where these were on the map, you know, Google gives you images, right? And now I'm even more jealous of you. (laughs) I was thinking while you're saying they were driving back from Montreal down to New Hampshire, I was like, I wonder if this is going to happen in the Bennington Triangle because that's the like crazy part of Vermont where all of the things happen. But now you said they're already in New Hampshire. So I was like, I didn't see that when I was doing it. It is gorgeous all through there. It's so pretty. And the White Mountains were beautiful. So there weren't a lot of people at the restaurant. 
just some teenagers and the staff. They ate something, had a cigarette and coffee and just got back on the road. It was about 10 p.m. when they left and they had 170 miles to go until they got home. They expected to be home by 2.30 to 3 a.m. It was a cloudless, star-filled night. Past Lancaster, they were on a smaller two-lane US-3 and now heading through the mountains. A short while later, Betty noticed what appeared to be a very bright star or possibly a planet. But then she noticed another bigger star appear above that one. She watched it as it seemed to be getting bigger and brighter. Unsure what to think, she pointed it out to Barney and he dismissed it as a satellite. But both had the feeling that it was moving or seemed to be, but weren't sure if they were just focused on it too much. And their windy driving was causing an illusion. Right. And it's late and you're tired. Yeah. At some point, the dog seemed like she might need to get out of the car for a little bit. So they stopped on the side of the road. They were also trying to get a better look at the star, planet, satellite, or whatever they were seeing. Now that they were stopped, Betty could tell that it was definitely moving. They had binoculars in the car, so Betty looked through them and saw that it wasn't anything like any satellite she had pictured in her mind. because She hadn't actually seen one. Right. But he stood firm that it was a satellite or a star. They continued on their drive, but they were talking about it. Betty had family who had witnessed UFOs before, and even though she wasn't flat out saying it, he knew where she was heading with the conversation. He didn't want to entertain it. Okay, so he's a non-believer. He's a non-believer. But he knew it wasn't a star or a satellite. In slight denial, now he decided that it was a commercial plane. (laughs) There were no other cars on the road, and Barney was growing anxious and was hoping to see someone or a trooper just to know... They weren't alone and to see if maybe they were seeing the same thing too. I get that. At around 11, they were coming upon Cannon Mountain to the west. On a turn, he watched the light turn around and start to come toward them. He immediately stopped into a picnic area off the side of the road. But he is now flustered that he won't acknowledge the odd behavior of this light or object. He again said, it has to be a plane. Although he was starting to fear it himself. Being smart Betty, she questioned it and said, commercial liners do not fly like that. (laughs) No. (laughs) He then suggested it was a Piper Cub. I had to look this up. A what? Piper Cub? A Piper Cub. It's a small aircraft. Like, it's a two-seater. Like, if you picture those tiny little yellow planes from back in the day, that's what it is. Yeah, I can see that. That's a Piper Cub. She questioned that, too. And then she pointed out that it had no sound. Hmm. He didn't hear any sound coming from it either, and he took the binoculars for a closer look. Then he thought it was a helicopter and thought maybe the wind was carrying the sound. And Betty was like, there's no freaking wind. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially. And helicopters are real loud. Yeah. Through the binoculars, to him, it looked like a plane without wings. It's Mm. side facing them. He noticed a series of blinking lights along it going off in an alternating pattern. Red, yellow, green, and blue. Wow. Betty then took the binoculars as it passed in front of the moon and they saw that it was cigar shaped and it seemed to be changing its speed from slow to fast to slow. She couldn't make sense of it and Barney wasn't budging. So she made him take the binoculars again and took their dog back to the car because she started to whine and seem upset. Looking again, Barney started to feel more uneasy and felt that whatever it was, it seemed to be coming closer and even circling them. That's weird. He started to think that some military guys were messing with them. But that idea was still muted by the fact that there was no sound. Nevertheless, he brought that idea up to Betty in the car. Both scared, although he wouldn't admit it, They started driving again very slowly. The object was now moving this way and that, and they would catch glimpses of it until it seemed to be parallel to the car and then disappearing behind trees as they drove. Weird. 
They came upon a hotel. Barney didn't notice it. He was too distracted, but Betty saw it and thought that she should say something and to suggest that they should stay there and get off the road. But she was too curious about the object, so she <laughs> said nothing. She was excited, you know. Well, she believes in you. I mean, yeah. I would be. I'd be like, I want to see more of this, even though I'd be scared too, probably. Yeah. So it's now in front of the car, a few hundred feet high. They could see that the aircraft or whatever it was, was very big. She didn't mention it before, but before to her, the craft seemed like it was spinning. Mm. And now it wasn't. The lights changed from blinking different colors to having a constant white light coming from it. She grabbed the binoculars again and could see that it had a double row of windows. Then all of a sudden, red light came out of the left and right sides of the aircraft. She was now getting upset with Barney. She begged him to consider that what they were witnessing wasn't any of the things that he was claiming it was Uh, to be. (laughs) I would agree. Smart Betty. So she begged him to stop. He didn't want to stop, but looked out the window and he could see it more clearly without the binoculars and that it was coming closer. They were just south of Indian Head now. Indian Head is a natural rock formation with trees on top and cascading down the sides, giving it the appearance of an Indian in a headdress. He stopped the car almost in the middle of the road and grabbed the binoculars. It was now that they had full view of the object, two treetops high in front of them and a block away and angled down. It looked like a large glowing pancake. Oh, pancake. Barney later described it as being as large in diameter as the distance between three telephone poles, and it was now angled more forward and coming towards them, now 100 feet away from them. He could see the rows of windows now curved around the front. Without thought, he started walking towards it, and then two fin-like wings started coming out the sides with the red lights on each end. Hmm. He was getting close, but decided to look again through the binoculars and saw beings through the windows. Beings? Yes. Whoa. At least six, he said. Wow. They were staring at him, and they were wearing uniforms. He could see their arms moving and doing something at what he assumed was some kind of control panel, And then the aircraft started lowering towards him and some type of extension started to lower from beneath. Mm. Finally coming out of this sort of trance he was in looking at everything, he started to run screaming toward the car. Distracted by the fact that they were stopped in the middle of the road and wondering about any oncoming motorist, she didn't see him walk away at first. Then she yelled for him to come back. He wasn't answering her. She was about to get out when he barged into the car. He was hysterical and yelling at her that they were going to be captured and instructing her to keep a lookout. And they Mm -hmm. sped off. She was checking, but the stars were gone now. He knew that it was above him. Then they started to hear a beeping sound from behind the car. Uh And the car started to vibrate with the beeping. They started to feel drowsy and hazy. Hmm. Feeling numb and coming out of a fog, they heard another set of beeping. They were confused, but Barney was still driving and they noticed a sign on the road that they were heading towards Ashland, which was 35 miles south of where they just were in Indian Head. Okay, so they literally heard beeping and then they they were beeping and they were 35 miles south. Okay. Okay. So they were just like beamed up and then dropped. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Both of them were quiet and individually trying to make sense of what they were feeling. Their only memory of this moment was Betty asking if Barney now believed that flying saucers exist. And he said, of course not. So the flying saucer took their car, too? We'll get to all of this. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. How did the car go? (laughs) Making their shift to US-93, Betty and Barney snapped out of it and the fog cleared. They didn't speak much the rest of the drive other than to agree that whatever they did experience, which they couldn't explain, 
they would keep to themselves. After a while, they turned on Route 4 toward the ocean in Portsmouth. The sun was now starting to come up. What time was it? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah. They both tried to look at the times on their watches, but both weren't working. Mm. Once home and inside, it was just after 5 a.m. Okay. So they lost a couple hours. They did. For reasons they couldn't explain then, they didn't want their luggage inside the house. Barney put everything on the back porch while Betty took the dog for a short walk around the yard. How was the dog? (laughs) Poor dog. Was the dog like... I don't even know if they were very aware of her (laughs) during anything. The dog just was hanging out in the car. She's like, <laughs> I just met you three weeks ago. That's true. She's like, can you take me back to wherever you, you adopted me? took me on a me? road trip? <laughs> Poor dogs. I just think of my cat in the car. <laughs> I'm just thinking if this they were... This was a little much. <laughs> they were abducted and the dog was just hanging out while they were doing whatever. <laughs> and the dog's like, oh, you're back. <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> so while going through stuff in the car, Barney noticed that the leather strap on his binoculars was broken in half. Inside, they had coffee, but Barney's lower abdomen and the back of his neck was hurting. So he went to the bathroom and examined himself, but he didn't see anything. But for some reason, he just felt dirty. And so he decided to take a shower. They were both still somewhat out of sorts and later described just feeling a sort of presence with them. Okay. But they were tired and they fell asleep instantly after a tiny little breakfast, both hoping they would feel different in their type of morning, which would be later in the day. Mm-hmm. And after some time, maybe they would just forget about the entire experience. <laughs> when not we like that? But that didn't happen. Instead, it changed their lives forever. Of course. Yeah. Instead, they probably remembered more. They woke up in the afternoon that day and they couldn't help but be in their thoughts, thinking about absolutely everything. It wasn't yet hitting them that they lost two hours of time. Mm-hmm. Barney was still trying to tell himself that it was a plane of some kind and then would see the beings in his mind and that would ruin any chance of him trying to make sense of it. Betty could not think of anything else. She was just in disbelief. Later on, they were both observing the clothing that they were wearing the night before. Being so tired, they really didn't look at them closely. Barney's dress shoes, which were perfect before, now had scuff marks on the tops. But why the tops? It confused him. Mm. And Betty's dress had tears in a couple places and a strange type of substance on it. Uh Uh-oh. They sexually assaulted her? I don't want to have that kind of episode again. I know. I'm over it. That's where my brain goes. It better not be. don't want to talk about it anymore. So we're not going to talk about that? The aliens were nice. I have a long way to go. Okay. I'll shut up. We can't. We can't. Automatically go to sexual assault. I know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's where we go, but that's already my conclusion. (laughs) End of story. Is it? Aliens (laughs) just sexually assaulted her. Okay. The priests. Everybody is in cahoots. They were in it with the priests from Annalise. (laughs) Evil people doing evil things. Anyway, no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't remember what happened after Barney rushed back to the car and yelled that they were going to be captured. Although Barney vaguely remembers turning sharply off onto another road. Knowing that her sister had experienced seeing a UFO before, she wanted to call her, but Barney didn't want her to. But he ended up saying that it was okay, so she did. Her sister, Janet Miller, lived in Kingston with her husband and children. After recounting the story, Janet was excited about the story, but also warned Betty that their car and clothes might have been exposed to radiation. Mm -hmm. Janet knew a physicist and called him to see what evidence there might be if this was the case. She found out that a compass would misbehave near things that were exposed. So Betty got a compass and went out to the car. Upon examining the car, she found more than a dozen shiny, perfect circles on the trunk. Okay. 
And where these perfect circles were, the car paint was missing and it seemed to have been buffed out like to a shine. Like they tried to fix what they broke? No, it's just like imagine circles on the trunk of a car. And yeah. And, and it's silver, but it's so buffed out that it's, it's shiny, shiny. And yeah. it's a perfect circle though. Weird. Okay. They were strange. And so she'd put the compass up to them and the compass just went crazy. Hmm. And then she would go around the rest of the outside and there would be nothing. Okay. She showed Barney. He was like, ugh. Whatever, it's just compass. Does it was just a things. plane. It was just a plane. It was just a plane, and this <laughs> compass, it just does things. <laughs> just a fucked up compass. He, Get was over just, it. he was very much in denial the entire time. While Betty was doing that, Janet actually spoke with a former chief of police officer in Newton, New Hampshire, who suggested that they report it to the Pease Air Force Base in Portsmouth. Barney refused at first, which is becoming a theme. Then he <laughs> gave in, as long as Betty didn't include him. Oh, so she had to say she was alone? He just didn't want to talk to anybody, I oh, think. Doesn't work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> she was nervous, though, because she didn't want to sound ridiculous. But she called them and spoke to an officer there. Of course, he wanted to talk to Barney. Can't trust that you'll, little lady. Gotta you'll get that find man. out later that they actually have record of following this aircraft the same day and sent out two planes to go try and find it. That's pretty interesting. So. Barney ended up agreeing to talk to him. Barney and Betty didn't give every detail. They did not mention the double row of windows, the figures they saw, or the shiny circles on their car. The officer's interest peaked when hearing about the thin sides, though, with the red lights. Okay. They were surprised to hear that they had received other reports similar to theirs, and that calmed their anxiety some. They're like, okay, we're not crazy. (laughs) Other people saw this. Yep. So Sergeant Paul Henderson called back the next day needing more information for his report. The report was sent to Project Blue Book, which is an Air Force unit that studies UFOs at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Okay. I read the report. It was lackluster, but it was there. It's <laughs> like, this happened. This okay. did it. Very military. Yeah. Betty and Barney, to help confirm that they weren't crazy, both to others and each other, decided to separately draw what they saw. They were pretty much the same. Okay. But even with all of this, Barney was hard-headed and still did not want to believe that aliens existed. He was constantly seeking out rational explanations. Left with none, though. He was in a constant <laughs> state of conflict. He just wanted to forget, which meant he didn't want to keep talking about it. But Betty was down the rabbit hole and she started researching what she could. There wasn't much at the time, but she found one book that gave her confidence in her experience. That was The Flying Saucer Conspiracy by Donald Kehoe who was the founder of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or known today as NICAP. Okay. Have you heard that? NICAP? Yeah. I don't think so. She wrote him a letter on September 26, 1961, and recounted everything, including everyone they have spoken with so far. She spoke of the fear and interest in finding out more and asked for more book suggestions and to see if he had written anything else. At this time, NICAP was receiving around 40,000 letters a year about similar incidents. Oh, okay. And this is in 1961. So this was when the aliens first started coming to America, maybe. I think when there was a way to be like, hey, I can tell someone. (laughs) Yeah, that too, because they've probably been coming since the dawn of time. Yes, of course they have. Have you seen ancient aliens? I have. Crazy hair guy. (laughs) About 10 days after the incident, Betty started having very vivid dreams, which she had never had before, or at least was never able to recall such dreams. 
And we're plugging into our very first episode here, Lucid Dreaming. Sometimes I can't wait to go to sleep at night. I've been having them a lot lately. Have you? And that's why I'm so sad because I'm not getting any sleep. That's probably why they're happening more because it's so messed up right now. Yeah, you're getting into that cycle. Exactly. So the dreams controlled her feelings throughout the day and they weren't just vivid. They were actually nightmares for her. They lasted for five days. And even though they stopped, they continued to bother her for a really long time after that. It was about coming upon a roadblock on a desolate road, being taken by a group of men onto an aircraft and having a physical examination. Mm. They promised no harm would come to her or Barney, but they were separated. The dreams left a really big impression on her, and she was able to explain everything in detail. Nearly two months later, Walter Webb, lecturer at Boston Hayden Planetarium and scientific advisor to NICAP, received a letter from Richard Hall at NICAP. It was the letter that Betty wrote Mr. Kehoe. Only cases that were more intense were sent his way for review. It was his job to interrogate and try to debunk such cases before writing up a report for Washington. He became involved in studying such cases after having an experience of his own while he was a young counselor at a boys' camp. Oh. But he hadn't experienced it since, and most of the people that he met were kooks with an ex- <laughs> exaggerated I love that stories. Word. <laughs> so he was more skeptical than a believer at that point. But he decided to interview them on October 21st, 1961. He went there with an open mind, but was also ready to find any crack in their story that he could. Both Betty and Barney found him very professional. He was there for eight hours and did not find one crack. That's a long interview. Yeah. Eight hours. He suggested that they take the trip again in that area and try to pinpoint where things happened to try and jog their memories. Webb left a believer, partially because their story never wavered, but also because they almost seemed to downplay events rather than exaggerate them. Yeah, that's a sign that they were fully traumatized or like... (laughs) Not looking for attention. And Barney was really skeptical still. He's like, that didn't happen to me. And Betty's like, yes, it did, Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, stop it. (laughs) They didn't want anyone to know except a few people and him. They just wanted answers at this point. I think that's probably how I would be if I was abducted by aliens. I wouldn't want everybody to know. I don't think I would call the military, though. Yeah, because I would be afraid that they would, like, dissect me or something. Exactly. I don't trust the military. I don't trust them. I don't know who I would call. I'd call them again, the aliens. Say, just come take me. Get me off of this planet. (laughs) I remember, so come talk to me now. Exactly. We need some aftercare. You need to, like, talk to me and tell me that you appreciate what you did. Well, it's now a relationship and you just left. (laughs) I mean, you just touched all over my body. Like, don't (laughs) ghost me. (laughs) Yes. That's an asshole move. It is. And they're like, well, you know, I'm 50 light years away. I can't come back that fast. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, baby. It was good and all, but when you reincarnate, maybe. (laughs) I'll come back and check on your great grandkids. (laughs) I'll like her too. (laughs) Ew. Anyway. So Webb sent his report to Washington five days later and concluded that his opinion was that they were telling the truth. They had had another interview with two men from a major electronics and engineering corporation. Why would they have told them? They were referred to Betty and Barney via Kehoe and Webb, actually, because they were interested in studying technological theories and advances with this like side interest in UFOs. And this was Robert Holman and C.D. Jackson. On November 25th, 1961, they interviewed the Hills, and it included a close friend of Betty and Barney's, Major James McDonald. The interview lasted nearly 12 hours, 
Wow. And it was then that Barney and Betty really honed in on the fact that they couldn't account for at least two hours of the time of that night, Mm -hmm. if not more. So I think before they just didn't really think about it. They just really think about it. From Colebrook to Portsmouth, it should have taken around four hours or less, and instead it took them seven. Oh, okay. Even taking into account the times that they stopped, they were never stopped for more than a few minutes in addition to their really quick restaurant stop. All of a sudden, they were really focused on that entirely. They both had amnesia for the same amount of time. Betty started to wonder if her dreams were not dreams, but memories. Yeah. They knew they had to figure out what happened during this time, and McDonald suggested medical hypnosis. Okay. They were both open to the idea, but more had to be done to find the right person. Okay, big question. Did they interview the dog? Like, is anybody worried about the dog? You know, (laughs) she doesn't have that special collar where she can speak English. What if she could speak now? This doggy was traumatized. So traumatized. <laughs> and she's like, I just met you. <laughs> like, I just want to know where the dog. <laughs> I, I obviously care more about animals than humans. I'm like, what happened to the dog? I'll give you a little. You have a little snippet later. I'll give you a snippet. She's okay. Okay, okay good. Okay, Delcy's okay. She didn't get cancer or anything. God damn it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what did she die from? Now I'm doing I Jessica. I don't know. I'm, I'm acting like Jessica now. Tell me the answers for the things you did not research. <laughs> okay, let me hone in on Delcy. Oh, yeah, I, d- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she had an experience other dogs haven't had. That's true. Okay. She has something to brag Let's about. Let's find the positivity in this. Okay. <laughs> anyway, life went on for a while. For Betty and Barney, and they decided to finally revisit the area to see if that helped with their memory. Mm-hmm. They did this in February of 1962, and they started to visit actually more frequently, sometimes several times a month. They were specifically looking for this mysterious road that Barney remembers turning off on after running back to the car to speed away. Okay. This went on for some time without any new revelations. Coming back to the suggestion of medical hypnosis, they started to ask around themselves because they weren't getting anything back. They were referred to one doctor and wrote to him in March of 1962. March 25th of 1962, they met this doctor at a planetarium. Okay. (laughs) That's rare. He's like, don't worry, I'm a doctor. Come to my planetarium. After meeting with Betty and Barney, this doctor did not approve for them to undergo hypnosis. So he's being a good doctor, I think, actually. Why would he because not want them to? hypnosis can have really bad effects, especially if it's a very traumatizing emotional experience that you're trying mm. to uncover. Okay. Sometimes hypnosis is to cover those and seal them off so you're you right. don't have to experience there them There is anymore. a reason your brain blocks certain memories. Yeah. Yeah. So... He didn't approve. He felt that the memories should come back gradually, not to force them, just in case of repercussions, especially with Betty's nightmares and anxiousness that she's been having. He did rule out simultaneous hallucination, but suggested that they wait. And if over a good amount of time this still was bothering them, then look into a more in-depth treatment therapy plan. Okay. At the end of the summer in 1962, Barney was growing increasingly worried about his health in general. He had ulcers acting up, high blood pressure, and warts that started to appear in perfect circles That's odd. near his groin. All of this weighed on him. In addition to the fact that he was now separated from his sons who were now living with their mother back in Philadelphia. Mm. They gave him an STD. I don't know. <laughs> now we know where genital warts came from. Aliens. Aliens. 
on his balls. <laughs> Anywho, outside of his medical treatment, he sought out psychiatric help. He did not do this to talk about the UFO incident, but about everything else, especially his separation from his kids. He started to see Dr. Duncan Stevens and worked through his problems with him for an entire year. He only briefly brought up the UFO incident, but it was never a focus of the therapy. However, with the UFO incident still on their mind, they asked someone from the Peace Air Force Base that attended their church if he thought that hypnosis was a good idea. He agreed. Barney thought more on it and brought it up to Dr. Stevens in his next session. Dr. Stevens thought it best, given Barney's issues, to go ahead and do it so as not to leave any stones unturned. But first, before giving his full blessing, he wanted a second opinion, so he contacted Benjamin Simon, M.D., to set up a consultation with Barney. On December 14, 1963, Barney and Betty went to his office for this consultation. Dr. Simon knew nothing about Barney or his wife at that time. Seeing that it was an interracial marriage, he thought it might be about that, but it wasn't. They had nonstop anxiety about the couple of hours they lost and couldn't focus. I mean, I would too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, especially that they weren't aware of it before. Yeah, it's so weird that they just snapped back and they're driving again. Yeah. So both Betty and Barney found the doctor impressive and they were completely comfortable with him. After speaking with them for some time, they decided upon hypnosis as suggested to them originally to unlock their hidden memories of that time. Okay. Dr. Simon had no idea what was going to happen during these sessions. All he knew is that they believed that it was a UFO and they were very anxious and disturbed. Okay. There are multiple stages of hypnosis. How many exactly is not clear across the board, some up to eight. So I'll just focus on a general overview and mention the three main stages, light, medium, and heavy. In the light stage, there is catalepsy of the eyelids, where produced on suggestion you cannot open your eyes at will. A small degree of general suggestibility is present at this stage. Post-hypnotic suggestions can still be given. Okay. In the medium stage, paralysis of the limbs or suggestibility of movement of limbs can be produced. Insensitivity to pain can be suggested, like the needle through your hand that you always Mm -hmm. hear about. Yeah. Which always makes me think of Stir of Echoes. Yeah, I like that movie. Kevin Bacon. Yes. I love Kevin Bacon. In the third stage, the heavy or somnambulistic stage, almost any phenomenon can be produced and the person will be amnesic to what happened unless told to recall it. Okay. But they needed to build up to this stage. Okay. The first session was on January 4th, 1964. It was the first of three sessions where the doctor's goal was to repeatedly induce hypnosis as a conditioning process. Both of them were actually very open during the sessions. They were asked simple things or to do things and the doctor could tell them either to remember or not to remember what happened during the hypnosis. Okay. He also gave them post-hypnotic cues so that entering into a trance state was easier each time they met. Practicing allowed him to determine how far they could go and to ready them for deeper sessions to get to those memories. And the doctor believed that they could go all the way. This buildup was important because the deeper they went, emotional disturbance from the experience could cause them to lose grip of the hypnosis. Similar to sleep paralysis when we are screaming to get out. Mm. A patient can come out of their own in such disturbances or plead to be taken out. So to get to the actual memories, a lot of practice is needed so that the doctor can have complete control. And make sure you don't have a complete freak out. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, can you imagine like being tortured and no. you're suppressing that and now you're trying to bring it to light or something? Yeah. Hopefully they were not being tortured. I mean, we hope so. But what do most alien probed? Right. Yeah. We're just a science project for them. What if they're probing other areas? Yeah. They're just touching. (laughs) I just think they're just touching all over you and no, and you're tied down. It's scary. Like, I don't care if they're just touching like my stomach. Like, I don't want them doing it. Like, ooh, what's in there? And you're like, lots of stuff. Lots of very important important stuff. Please don't cut me open. (laughs) I don't even want to be tickled. Like, if somebody holds me down and tickles me, I start getting like, they wouldn't even know what tickle means. Their fingers are probably tickly. Probably. (laughs) Anyway, it was through these sessions that Barney had a revelation that it was possible for him to be hypnotized and made not to remember because with the sessions, he would look at his clock, his watch, go under and felt like he was asked to wake up almost immediately only to look at his watch again and see that almost an hour had gone by. So he did not want to know in his present day what happened. He didn't even want to entertain it, really. But yeah. he knew it wasn't. In- he was just very hard headed. OK. He just wanted to deny all of it. He's like, nothing happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> Move on, Betty. Move on with your life. But he just was suppress it. <laughs> but he was also very disturbed himself because he also experienced it and he had no logical way to explain it. Yeah. So now, finally, I'm going to get into their story and what the two of them revealed under hypnosis and what happened during those missing two hours. Or so, because we don't have an exact. I listened to hours of these transcripts from these recordings via a book that was written, which I'll talk about in a bit. After three weeks of general hypnosis, they scheduled their actual therapy session to start going back to September 19th, 1961. They were asked to go into extreme detail. Both were asked not to recall anything in their waking life, so they couldn't talk about it to each other and risk influence. All of this was recorded. They would go into such fantastic detail as to recall things. Not even, I think, you and I could remember from something maybe we saw 10 minutes ago. Okay, so very, very, very detailed. Like, And they also included their feelings and their thoughts in those moments. Okay. Answers were extremely precise, giving more information than we would expect from a question when we ask someone something, for instance. Like, if you asked... Did you talk to him? Instead of a no or a yes, the response might be, no, I did not talk to him. I whispered to him. Okay. So just making sure they cover their basis type of answers. Well, these are very intelligent people too. So that too. They're going to give better explanations maybe than some others. I know. A lot of people didn't go down the route of hypnosis, but for them it was very important because they were trying to understand where those two hours or whatever went. Well, that, but they were also living with extreme anxiety and and they are professional people and they're like, I need to move on with my life and right now I can't. Yeah. Barney went first and first described their drive down from Canada in great detail. What they did, where they stayed or stopped along the way, what he saw, what he was feeling and thoughts that went through his head at the time. He speaks as if he is experiencing it all again and not as if recounting a memory. Then he gets to when he first saw the object in the sky near Lancaster. He described when they stopped shortly after seeing it and his suggestion that it was a satellite. When looking through the binoculars, he realized that it was not a satellite, but a plane. He gives the binoculars back to her, but he notices that it does not go in the direction he thought it would, that it changed course and was starting to come towards them. And at that moment, he told himself, it's not a plane. It's something else. 
He started to worry all while telling Betty it's a plane. (laughs) But he knew. But he knew. Yeah. But noticing how dark the road was, he started to worry about a bear. So they got back in the car and started driving. But Betty was adamant that it wasn't a plane. When they realized there was no sound coming from it and it seemed to be following them, Barney looked for somewhere else that he could pull over again and noticed a dirt road on the right and pulled off. They got out of the car again and he was so confused why the object was still there. Because they want you. (laughs) Exactly. He mentioned starting to get frustrated with Betty, though, because he felt her trying to convince him that it was a flying saucer. Even though she didn't say it, he didn't want to entertain such silly things. (laughs) But he couldn't describe it either because it wasn't going away and it kept switching directions all around them. Just a light in the sky acting irregularly. But then he still thought maybe it's a military plane And he remembered getting mad and wanting to report it because they shouldn't be flying like that. Someone could get distracted and get into an accident. (laughs) (laughs) But again, confused because there was no sound. Yeah. And now he's thinking to himself, I want to hear the jet. I want to hear the jet so badly so that he can give the flying object, you know, some base in reality, some familiarity. Yeah. Barney is a seasoned plane watcher, so he knows what things sound like. He was in World War II, so he knew planes and it was flying too fast it would go up and down forward and back too fast and there was no turning around that he saw just back and forth okay yeah no plane does that yep they were driving again and were now in indian head his frustration grew with betty but at the same time her reaction to it was giving him anxiety because typically betty is very level-headed and doesn't get excited and emotional like he does about things So even though she was making him mad, her feelings and her behavior were validating the mysterious experience that they were now having. All of a sudden, Barney is begging to wake up. Because remember, he's... Oh, he's begging to get out of the hypnosis right now? He doesn't want to remember what happened next. Okay. The doctor assures him that he is safe, but is aware that some kind of painful or difficult memory is now coming into view. Yeah. Reassuring him that he can tell him everything. He will be relaxed. And what he sees will not trouble him. Barney says, it's right over to my right. God, what is it? (laughs) Now, you need to remember, I'm like reenacting right now. Get your acting skills out. Betty hadn't noticed it yet, so he tried to keep his cool, but saying to himself, he said, God, I'm scared. Yeah. At this time, Barney starts sobbing and screams and yells, I got to get a weapon. His emotions were uncontrollable, and the doctor was worried and stopped him there for a little while to give him a rest and reassure him again. Wow. Then he brings him back to the same moment, reminds him about needing to get a weapon and asking if he was scared that whatever it was was going to hurt him. He says, yes. Mm. I open the trunk of my car and I get the tire wrench, part of the jack, and I get back in the car. He was starting to panic again. He is in this moment and says, I'm getting out of the car again with the binoculars. And I look at it and it's there just over the field. And I think, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'll fight it off. I'm not afraid. With a tire iron. <laughs> <laughs> They're in a, in a vehicle that Massive goes back and forth. And and probably shoots fire. <laughs> and you're going to use a tire iron. Exactly. Good luck, bud. But then there it is, above the road. Barney screams. Again, the doctor is reassuring him that it can't hurt him. He's breathing heavily. There's a man there. <laughs> is he a captain? I'm doing your sound effects. <laughs> I was going to scream when you said he screams. This morning. <laughs> he goes, what is he? He's looking at me. The doctor asked how far it is. He said, it's not that far. And I can see that it's tilted toward me. It looks like a flat pancake with rows of windows and lights. 
Wait, not lights. Just one huge light. He looks up and down the road, hoping that someone else would come and see it. In this trance state, as if standing in the moment, he repeated several times, It's still there. It's still there. It's still there. What do they want? What do they want? One person's looking at me over his right shoulder and he's smiling. Uh-oh. He seems friendly. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor asks what his face looks like. Barney says, it's round. I think of a red-haired Irishman. Oh. I don't know why. I think I know why. Because Irish are usually hostile to Negroes. But when I meet a kind one, I think, well, I should be friendly. <laughs> and this one looking over his shoulder seems friendly. Okay. He just wants to have a beer. Yeah. But the evil leader... He Uh-oh. looks like an evil Nazi. Is he a Nazi? The doctor asked if the leader was wearing a uniform, and if so, what kind? Barney answers yes, and that he was wearing a black scarf that was dingling over his shoulder. Sounds like a villain. <laughs> the do- have a mustache. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor then asked if he looked different than humans do, since he described one as an Irishman. Speaking of the leader, he now says, well, oh, his eyes are slanted. I've never seen eyes like that before. Then all of a sudden he goes, oh, oh, I feel like a rabbit. A rabbit. Oh. I feel like a rabbit. Mm, caught in a trap. I know this creature is telling me something. The doctor asks, how? How is he getting it to you? He's not moving his lips, but he's talking to me. And he's telling me not to worry, that I'll be safe, and that I wasn't a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> stay there and keep looking. Just keep looking. Just stay okay. there. In complete terror, Barney pulled the binoculars from his eyes, but complained, it's pounding in my head. I got to get away. I got to get away from here. Back in the car now, he's driving. He told Betty to look out and see if the object was still around them. Then all of a sudden, Barney cries, oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. I can't do this. I should be on like SNL or something because <laughs> I can't do real ones. <laughs> Is that an accident down the road? What's the red? The bright red. The men. They're standing in the road. They won't talk to me. Only their eyes are talking to me. Okay. All I see are the eyes. I don't need to be afraid. They're just eyes. Not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I'm not afraid. Okay. Now, this is from his recording. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor was asking a lot of questions. One being, where are you? Yeah. <laughs> are you still in the car? And he says, no. I'm just suspended. I'm just floating about. Oh, okay. He talks about wanting to go with them and how funny it would be to find God on another planet. What he was saying wasn't making any sense. And suddenly he's saying something like, well, it looks like we'll be getting to Portsmouth later than expected. (laughs) (laughs) So his logical brain is just like, oh, well, not going to make it home tonight. The doctor realized that he was just skipping things and meshing things together. So he ended the session. All this while, Betty had been waiting in the other room, skimming through magazines, but spent most of the time crying because she heard Barney's outbursts and was worried. But when he came out, he was just fine and he was happy. So she thought it best not to say anything to him. Yeah, don't let him know that he was screaming his... Like a little baby. He sounded like a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Your husband walks out and you're like, hey, everything everything okay? (laughs) The doctor realized there were two points in which Barney started to not make any sense and did not go into as much detail as the rest of the trip. First, when he looked through the binoculars when it was close to him. And second, when he came to this roadblock of Mm -hmm. men or eyes. So they had only scratched the surface. On February 29th, 1964, they were back for another session, but it wasn't Betty's turn yet. 
He wanted another session with Barney. They went back a bit before the eyes and when Barney first saw the object. He gave more details this time. He noticed that the object was spinning and able to tilt down in place. He also mentioned having stuck the tire wrench in his belt. Mm. It was when he moved out of the car and it was right in front of him that he moved over to the left onto the field and that's when Barney started walking towards it. He also noted the clothing in more detail that everyone else seemed to be wearing something that resembled something like blue denim while the being that was at the front was wearing a black shiny jacket, a scarf, and a cap. Mm. This time Barney wasn't panicking but recalling everything without emotions. Once he started driving again, he realized that he wasn't on Route 3, but in a heavily wooded area. Down the road, he saw the red lights and was being signaled to stop. Men were standing in the road, and it was lit up. They began going towards the car. So men were standing in the road, not aliens? Let's just say figures. Okay. I mean, it's dark. Figures were standing in the road. Some of them started coming towards them, and some of them stayed back. Then Barney said... The men came up and assisted me. I was very weak, but I was not afraid. I couldn't even think about being confused. I feel like they're dragging me. My eyes are tightly closed and I feel disassociated. I don't even know where Buddy is. (laughs) I feel like I'm going up an incline now. My feet have stopped bumping on the rocks. That's funny. I don't want to be operated on. (laughs) So he already knows. (laughs) What else are they going to do with you? He is now starting to jump a bit again from one thing to the next in his thoughts, but he somewhat clarified the feeling of floating from before. He didn't feel like they were carrying him, but he knew that they were. Okay. He said, I'm now lying on a table. I feel like I was inside something, but I was told to keep my eyes closed. But he opened his eyes and he was in an operating room of sorts and it was blue, sky blue. He said it was very clean. He didn't feel like he was going to be operated on or attacked in any way, but his groin was cold. <laughs> and is it always the groin? <laughs> I mean, it's just this weird thing sticking off of the body. Or is it just that men are like obsessed with their penis? But what if the aliens don't have penises? They're literally they're like, obsessed what with is penis? this hose? <laughs> Why does that have do these dangly <laughs> things attached to it? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, maybe we should rub it. Oh no, what is it Why doing? Why is it growing? <laughs> I'm making like funny. She's making hand, hand gestures. gestures. <laughs> Can you imagine though? We are out They're of like, control. What is happening here? <laughs> Why is this one so big? <laughs> oh, we took two men at the same time. Why is this one so small? <laughs> Poor guy. Anyway, <laughs> back to the groin. Yes, his groin was cold, <laughs> but it didn't last long before that sensation left. Then all of a sudden, he is off the table and being guided out into his car. The lights were off and the engine was off and their dog was in a ball under the seat. A ball? Oh, like scared. Oh, poor puppy. But Barney was smiling. Because he just got a hand job. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I mean, we never went down this route. It was like a happy ending. (laughs) Let's leave it to one of us to bring other things into a story. I'm like, this is such a great story. And now I'm like, hand jobs. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, listeners. (laughs) He saw Betty coming to the car and she got in. She was smiling. Oh, she had a good time too. They both felt good, elated, and relieved. They watched the object turn orange and fly away until they were left in the darkness. They found their way down the road and back to Route 3. Betty asked him, Do you believe in flying saucers now? And he said, Oh, Betty, don't be ridiculous. Of course (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Even though he knew he experienced something that he couldn't explain. But again, he's just too hard headed. Okay, so 
the car had to get moved and that poor dog was like in the car. I'm back to the dog. Sorry. Yeah, poor little Doxy. Mm, Doxy Delcy. As they're driving, they heard the beeping. It felt like the car vibrated with it and something shifting in the car. The dog reacted to this, but then they saw the sign that made them realize where they were. The rest of the drive and when they got home, they forgot almost everything that had happened in Indian Head. Okay. The second session was now over. That lasted over two hours. Barney said that after this session, his memories and recall like strengthened just in general. Okay. He started remembering pieces of the trip in great detail, almost as if the parts he thought he already remembered strengthened, while the parts he had forgotten still stayed hidden. Like, for instance, if he's walking into a bathroom, he remembered a detail in the bathroom. So mm-hmm. he still does not have the memories of this missing period. But these pieces he does remember, all of a sudden he has very more vivid, vivid yeah. details of them. But this is also when he started having dreams of UFOs. Oh. At this stage, this doctor concluded that the first incident of seeing the object was real, but that the second part of being in the operating room was possibly made up, but he needed to work with Betty now. Made up, huh? Okay. Betty was put under and he started the same process with her. She repeated much of what Barney said, but added, you know, other little details like seeing a mink coat in a window for sale for $795, which is a lot of money back then. That's a woman thing. We remember that kind of stuff. Her memory of seeing the object for the first time and what happened leading up to Indian Head all matched up. She described the shape like a cigar with different colored lights flashing around it and that it was spinning. He said pancake. She said cigar. That's when it stopped on the road and like tilted towards him. Yeah. But like he did of her, she complained about Barney under hypnosis. (laughs) (laughs) Typical wife and and husband. His denial throughout the entire experience. They get to Indian Head when he gets out of the car in the middle of the road and starts heading toward the object. She remembers yelling for him. At this point, she starts to sob. Mm-hmm. This is the same time that Barney was starting to emotionally react in his first session. Yeah. After this, she had trouble saying what happened to her. She was trying, but she got quiet and wasn't saying much. The doctor tried to push her over the hurdle and ask more questions, but she couldn't get past the point when they heard the first beeping after Barney got in the car from the field. She starts to cry, and he is trying to calm her and tell her everything is okay and that she can tell him everything. Somehow, though, she pushed past it and took a deep breath before saying more. She talks about driving further and starts to cry again when she said, There are men in the road, and I've never been so afraid in my life before. So Barney stopped the car and they started coming toward the car and separated. Then the car motor died. Barney couldn't restart the car. She was so scared and the men came up and opened her car door. It was then that she was having trouble again talking, sobbing at the same time. Find out later that her thought was, I got to open the car. I got to run away. I'm going to run away through the forest. But they were there. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Bye, Barney. (laughs) She's the woman, you know. Yeah, right. That's self-preservation. She felt like she was asleep at first and was trying to wake up. She kept trying. She was finally able to open her eyes and she sees that she's in the woods with two men on either side of her and another one or two that are in front and they're on some kind of path. She turns her head to look and she sees that Barney is behind her with two men supporting his arms. He was walking, but he was asleep. His Mm -hmm. eyes are closed. 
She said Barney was much taller than the men. Okay. She remembers getting mad and thinking, who the heck are these characters? (laughs) (laughs) These little tiny men. And she yelled to Barney, Barney, wake up. Why don't you wake up? But he kept walking and not paying attention. That's when she heard one of the men say, oh, his name is Barney. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for letting us know. She didn't want to speak to him. She kept yelling at Barney to wake up. The man asked if that was his name again. And when she didn't answer, he said, don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. We're not going to harm you. We just want to do some tests. When the tests are over with, we'll take you and Barney and put you back in your car and you'll be on your way back home in no time. She said he was sort of reassuring, but she (laughs) still didn't trust it. Oh, no. (laughs) She mentioned that he had sort of a foreign accent, Mm -hmm. but that he was very businesslike. They were walking and walking. She was awake this entire time while Barney was essentially sleepwalking. Okay. They finally came to a clearing and the object was on the ground with a ramp extended. She didn't want to go on and she said that to the man. In an interview I watched from her, she said she sucked one of them. Oh, yeah? She punched one. She actually put up a bit of a fight and this is actually how her dress got a little torn. torn. Okay. But this main man that she was talking to, he was starting to get a little irritated. Is this the guy (laughs) with the scarf? I think so. Because later she calls him the leader. Mm -hmm. And he just said, well, go on. The longer you fool around out here, the longer it's going to take. You might as well go on and get it (laughs) over with and get back to your car. We haven't got much time either. We got to probe you. (laughs) Come on. We got lots of probing to do tonight. (laughs) Kind of get to the next place. (laughs) So much probing. (laughs) So much probing. Why do I think of the leader? Because you said he had like the black leather jacket and a scarf. I'm like thinking of Johnny from Greece. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking we're in the 60s. I mean, 60s is after the 50s, obviously. I would <laughs> maybe more picture him as yeah. Nick, <laughs> not probably Johnny. probably more I'm thinking of too. Yeah. Like just the tough dude. Yeah. With the like black jacket on. Yeah. <laughs> the T-Birds. Yeah. And he had that little like tied off. Yeah. Exactly. It was. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. Okay. That's who the leader is. Yeah. He's Konecki this from Greece. Just, I'm just thinking of like this is a new rendition of Greece now. <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like it. It's a modern day version with aliens. <laughs> and right now, for some reason, because it's so dark and your hair is up, you look like Leah from Star Wars. Um, and Betty is Sandy. <laughs> She reminds me more of Judy from the Jetsons. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Back to it. Sorry. I'm just here to distract you. <laughs> so two of them take her arms and started to walk her up the ramp. Mm. Inside, there is a corridor that curves off to the left and they go up it and they stop and take her into a room. She's standing there waiting for Barney to be brought in, but they don't. She asked them to bring Barney in and they told her that they only have enough equipment in one room to do one at a time. Oh, okay. But they assured her that Barney would be all right. Two other men came in with the man who can speak English to her and then another man who she assumed to be a doctor or a physician of sort. They sat her down on a stool in the corner. At first they were inspecting her arm and brought over a machine and seemed to be looking at her skin in a couple of different places. She explained that they took something that looked like a letter opener and scraped her arm. Like they took some dead skin off, though. They didn't harm her. And they put the flakes or whatever it was on some kind of plastic. They rolled it up and they went and put it in a drawer. (laughs) (laughs) And then they put her head in something that pulled out from the top of this chair and her head was resting against a bracket of some kind. They looked at her eyes and her mouth and her throat and her ears. They swabbed her ears. 
They also put those ear samples in the top drawer okay. as well. This was off to the side. They also felt her hair and her neck and took a couple of strands of her hair and put that in the drawer. It's like, just like put them somewhere and then go put them all in. Like, it just feels like they're Weird. taking too long yeah. to do this. Maybe they get sucked down somewhere. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Like, it's added to their little file. Right. They continue feeling around her neck and her collarbone. Then they took off her shoes and they looked at her feet and her hands. I remember her saying they were especially just interested in her hands. They just like looked them all over. Okay. They cut off a piece of her fingernail. Not harshly. (laughs) Just a little (laughs) manicure. (laughs) The doctor then says that he wants to check her nervous system. He told her to take off her dress. She explains that she didn't even have enough time to do it herself. She stood up and they unzipped the back of her dress for her and made her lay on the table. He brought over a cluster of needles Mm -mm. and each needle has a wire coming from it that was hooked to a screen of some sort. That sounds scary. They don't stick the needles in her, though. Okay, good. They just touch her with them. They touched her all over her body on the front and every area head to toe. And then they had her flip over and they did it all over her backside, too. Just checking her nerves. Yeah. They rolled her back over and the doctor had a very long needle in his hand, four to six inches long, and it was attached to a tube. She described it being bigger than any needle she has ever seen. She asked what it was for and he said that he was going to put it in her navel and that it wouldn't hurt. And she started crying and saying, it will hurt. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. My stomach hurts. He puts it in and it hurts. And she becomes hysterical saying, it's hurting. It's hurting. Oh my God. Oh my God. She described it feeling like a knife and she was in agonizing pain. It was then that the leader comes over, rubs his hands over her eyes and tells her that it will be all right and she won't feel it. And then suddenly she doesn't. The pain goes away. Wow. But she was still sore. Well, yeah, she just had a (laughs) four inch needle shoved in her belly. She asked again what it was for. And the leader told her that it was a pregnancy test. Whoa. And she said, I don't know what they expected, but that was no pregnancy test. That would have killed the baby. And he didn't (laughs) respond to her. This is when Dr. Simon decided to stop Betty's for a session. Okay. She felt like she was in a daze for a couple of days after she felt tired. She ended up having two different nightmares. She didn't know at the time because Barney and Betty had not yet listened back to the recordings, but Betty's account was nearly identical to the dreams that she had in the beginning, which had been written down back then, too. And she had these in her pocket Mm. at this session, and she wondered if she should give it to him, and she decided not to at the time. A week later, on March 14th, they went back for Betty's second session. He started off where they left off. She's back on the table, and now that the navel test was done, they helped her sit up and get off the table. Okay. They gave her her shoes and her dress. She sat down to put the shoes on, and she stood up to put the dress on, and before she had time, one of them sipped up her dress. That's crazy. I know. They're just there to assist. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they could come help me. (laughs) I wonder how fast they I just want several of them to, like, do things for me. I don't want them to stick things in my navel, though. Well, we'll teach them what a real pregnancy test is, okay? Yeah. It's like, we just need to pee. (laughs) need to put something in our belly. So she asked if she could go back to the car now, and they said that Barney wasn't ready yet, Mm. and that it would take a minute. And she was left alone in this room with who they referred to as the leader. Okay. So she started talking to him and saying that no one would believe her that this happened, and she wanted some proof. Oh. She said he laughed a little at her and asked her what kind of proof that she wanted. She thought, well, I could take something back with me. And he told her to look around and see if there was something she would like to take. 
Uh-huh. She found a book and she asked to take that. He told her to open it. She did. She didn't recognize the writing. The writing went up and down, not across. Okay. I think at one point she was trying to describe it as being similar to like Chinese, Japanese, but Symbols. it wasn't yeah. it wasn't anything like that. He laughed again and asked her if she could read it. And she laughed. She's like, no. She's like, but this is my proof. Right. And he's like, okay, you can have it. Oh. She then asked him where he was from. Okay, this is interesting. And he asked if she knew anything about the universe. No, she mentioned, we're humans. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> she mentioned our solar system and the stars, but that she didn't know much. He said he wished that she knew more. They actually were very disappointed that we didn't know more. <laughs> They're like, you're so dumb. <laughs> exactly. He went over to a table and he did something and part of the wall opened and he pulled out a map of some kind. It was a long map with tons of dots on it in varying sizes and curved lines going from one dot to another. And there was one big circle with a lot of lines coming from it. The lines also had varying heaviness to them. She asked what it all meant and he said that the heavy lines were trade routes. The solid lines were places they visited often and the broken lines were expeditions. She asked, where are you on this map then? And he laughed and he asked, well, where are you on the map? She said, I don't know. And he giggled and he said, well, if you don't know where you are, then there is no point in me telling you where I'm from. (laughs) Well, (laughs) were we on the expedition, the trade route? (laughs) Like, which, where does Earth fall? It has (laughs) to be on there somewhere, right? Yeah. Otherwise, they went off their map. (laughs) He rolled up the map and he put it back. They're out for a joyride. She felt silly. (laughs) So she went back to looking at the book, but heard some commotion and heard some of the men running in the room quite excitedly. She thought something might be wrong with Barney, but they ran up to her and opened her mouth and started looking at her teeth and tugging at them. (laughs) She asked, what are you doing? (laughs) And they said they they couldn't figure it out because Barney's teeth came out and hers wouldn't. Oh, no. (laughs) He had dentures. (laughs) (laughs) She laughed and explained that he has dentures. (laughs) She explained that as we get older, many people need dentures or if they had injuries to their mouth. The leader didn't seem to believe her when she said that it's very common. And she said, well, it happens as we get older. Confused, he asked. Older? Oh, they don't age? She responded, well, yes, old age. Again, confused, old age. Then asked what age was and what does she mean? She explained the lifespan of people being essentially 100 years, but most people die before that. Right. And then he asked, what is a year? (laughs) She explained how it all worked and what it was based on, but he still didn't understand. Hmm. That's so weird. Because time is made up by us silly little humans. That's is that what why? he told us? Oh. No, but, but why yeah. else? These are super advanced, crazy places, little yeah. people. And they don't know what time is. They might not call it time. Maybe to them it's called uh, <laughs> joy. I don't know. <laughs> I was using my alien. That didn't work. I was using my alien language. <laughs> We would not be able to talk to them. No. They're like, these ones are useless. I wonder if they have teeth. Like if they were so like enthralled with our teeth. Oh, here we go, though. Then he asked what she ate. Okay. She explained. Then he asked, what are vegetables? Because she said something about vegetables. She explained that there are so many. He asked, well, if there's one kind that she liked, what was her favorite? And she said squash. Okay. He asked her to explain what squash was. And she did. And she described it as yellow. Okay. And then he said... What is yellow? (laughs) I think they're just fucking with her. (laughs) She looked around to try and find something yellow, but she couldn't. So she said something like sunlight, you know, 
Mm -hmm. She explained to them that she felt like she's a really limited person and that there's tons of other people that they could talk to. Way more interesting. (laughs) She's like, I know a lot of people that would love to meet you. And he laughed and said, don't worry. If we decide to come back, we'll find you all right. We always find those we want to. Oh, damn. Just then, Barney was coming out and she sees that his eyes are still shut. She laughed to herself because she's like, well, Harry, he sure missed a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He's not even talking to him. He's just sleeping. And questioned if they were making him stay asleep or keep his eyes closed or something. Mm -hmm. Later, I found an interview that she believed it was because he was much larger. She was essentially their size and he was a really big man compared to them. Yeah. And so whatever voodoo mind shit they did, he just got a bigger Extra, dose. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he remembers stuff, he just got a bigger dose so that he couldn't actually Light physically back. do mm-hmm. things. And here's little baby Betty just kicking up and they're sticks. Like, she's kind of cute. Let's talk to her. <laughs> he's just us. laughing at her the whole time. He's like, she's funny. <laughs> Everything she says, he's like, what's that? That's why I said he's like I fucking know. with her. It was kind of comical. Like when he's laughing at her in the beginning, he's like, <laughs> You. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and all I'm thinking of is Kaneki from Greece. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like this cute little friendship that's forming. Yeah. I don't know. They were funny. So they started to walk out when she noticed that a couple of the men were talking, but she didn't know what they were saying. Then this leader came to her and he took the book. Aww. And she got very upset. She's like, that's my proof. She said, you said I could have the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't go back on your promises, dude. And he's like, I know, but the others object. Oh, but I think he the leader. Maybe he, you know, it's more of a democracy. Maybe they just let him wear the scarf this time. (laughs) Maybe this time. But you'll hear why she thinks he's the leader in a little bit. She got hysterical and crying and saying, I'll remember. I won't forget. He tried to explain that she will forget and that she needs to forget. But Mm. that maybe she'll remember one day. But Barney won't. And that even if he does remember, his account's going to be different than yours and it would drive a wedge between you. And she's still crying and he says, all right, let's get you back to the car. They walk Barney out while she kind of is staying there talking to this leader, asking him again, please just give me something (laughs) to take back. And he made her start walking and she was still asking. He stopped her and he said, you know, why don't you wait here on the path and you can watch us leave? Okay. And then he apologized that she was frightened in the beginning. Oh. She said that she hoped that they would meet again. Yeah. She actually kind of begged him. Please come back. She's like, please text me. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know if you'll be alive next time we do, but cool. He's like, we're not coming back for. If I understand old eons. age. <laughs> right. <laughs> she watched them walk away and she went to Barney to tell him to get out of the car so that they could watch them leave. He was still really groggy, but his eyes were open Their dog was trembling on the front seat. So she picked her up and leaned against the car to get ready for the show. Barney got out and stood beside her. They watched it get brighter and brighter. And rather than a large pancake, it was now a large orange red ball glowing and rolling like a ball. Whoa. Whoa. I can't explain that. No. I can explain these men. But how does something just change into something else? Magic. I mean, isn't it all? Mm-hmm. Then they get in the car and start to head back. And she is so happy and said to Barney, well, now, Barney, <laughs> tell me that you don't believe in flying saucers. Yep. He said she was silly. And of course he didn't. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> he was sleeping. He was just taking a long nap. She took it as sarcasm. That's how she read that. Mm. Then the beep started again on the trunk of the car and she took it as their farewell and that now they were off. Okay. 
Then she repeats the same story of getting home at daylight, blah, blah, blah. Right. Dr. Simon asked if they ever told each other about their time in the vehicle. And she said no and couldn't come up with a reason why. She's still under hypnosis, so probably not aware that they both forgot when saying this. But when thinking on it, she said that she decided to forget about it. She made the decision to do that. When he asked her why, she said that she wanted to please the leader because he asked her to. Oh, yeah, he did. Later on in another session with Barney, it came to be that he did remember quite a bit from being on the ship. He remembers the ramp going up through the corridor to a room which he tripped over something on the way into that he later remembered being like this raised part of the door, like kind of in a ship. The door was oval shaped. And when he went in, he got on a table. He still kept his eyes closed. He described the same tests that Betty went through for the most part, other than they seemed to be interested in like his spinal column, like more bones Mm -hmm. for him, maybe just because he was so large, I bet. Yeah. But it was never in the same vivid detail that Betty was able to describe it. Because he was kind of more... Because his eyes are closed the whole time. Yeah, he's more groggy. Betty was like awake walking in. Right. By this point, Dr. Simon ruled out hallucinations and lying, but he questioned if somehow Barney absorbed the information from Betty's dreams and that Betty was reliving hers. Because they sleep next to each other? (laughs) Because she talked about it or something. Okay. On March 21st, 1964, he focused on this to see if this was a possibility. He heavily focused on her dreams and conversation both before and during hypnosis. So he was thinking she was just having vivid dreams and recalling them during the hypnosis? And that somehow she influenced him. Oh, okay. I read all of the transcript of the two sessions of Dr. Simon trying to break it all down and have them question over and over again if their experience was an influence and dreams. They stuck to their word both individually. They were unshakable. And to me... Nothing lined up to suggest that this was a possibility. It seemed more like an extreme jump to consider this as dreams. Right. And like an influence of dreams onto him than them actually experiencing this. I would agree with that. It seems like a stretch. But Dr. Simon believed that this was the case regardless. That Betty accepted her dreams as reality and that Barney... By hearing her talk about it, even though she never directly told him everything, yeah. somehow absorbed it. I think that's a really, really far stretch. Like that's, that's assuming just, like a perfect pie happening or something <laughs> like out of nowhere. It's just this guy didn't want to believe in aliens. I mean, they have no proof of anything. Yeah. At this point, aliens are the furthest stretch that you can go. Yeah. In 1960s. Yeah. Right. The dreams lasted for five days, and this was nearly two and a half years later. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, no matter how many times they went under, they never wavered from their descriptions ever. It was at the end of these sessions that he told both Barney and Betty that they could now remember everything they revealed in their sessions, but that being aware of this information would not harm them or cause them to worry. They would have no fear, no anxiety, and they would relax. The memories would gradually return. Okay. On March 28th, 1964, there was another session for each of them. She mentioned that she was having nightmares again and that Barney was too. After this session, he wanted to start talking with them more outside of hypnosis as they were now able to recall more. 
It was then that Betty gave her written down dreams to Dr. Simon, and he saw just how identical they were, for the most part. There were some differences. For instance, in her dream, she went up some stairs into the ship, and under hypnosis, her memory is a ramp, as it was Barney's. Okay. So where's the influence there then? Yeah, that's not a big jump. She never even told Barney that she went up a ramp. These were two individually right remembered things like he would have said stairs if she had influenced him if her dream said stairs exactly because he never actually listened to all of her dreams he just heard her kind of talking to her sister randomly he didn't want to entertain her dreams yeah he didn't want to believe in that stuff so So he didn't absorb it in that way to exactly say what she said right but what was interesting and now having memories coming back they both started to question how they could understand the being speaking yeah, that's a good and question. And that it was English. Barney only remembered hearing the voice in his head. And during Betty's recollection, she never mentioned how she was hearing them. Mm-hmm. It stumped her because she couldn't remember, at the time anyway, seeing mouths move. Then when she was asked how she knew they were speaking English, she couldn't answer that either because she just kind of knew, well, we could understand each other. Telepathic. She actually truly believed that this was entirely possible. Mm -hmm. Later on, though, after more memories come back, she does specifically remember it being verbal. Interesting. That they were speaking from the mouth. Right. I'm kind of just assuming that they can do either. They could. I remember, I mean, the Travis Walton story, he said they never opened their mouths. It was all done. But maybe they could do both. Maybe to make her feel more comfortable that verbally it's coming from the mouth because she was the one that was aware and he was the one that was asleep and they needed to communicate with him in that way. Whereas she's looking at them. And it'd be weird if their mouths weren't moving. And she would freak out if they weren't. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I could see that. Now that Barney and Betty can remember and talk to each other, Barney realized that he never saw the mouths at all. Okay. To him, when he he thought that guy was smiling like way up in the ship, he actually remembers it that what he recognized was more like a twinkle in the eye. Like kind of like how when you're looking at someone, people eye smile or whatever. That's how he is kind of referring to it now. Mm -hmm. And when these beings weren't talking directly to Betty or Barney, they both recognized that they did not speak English. It was more of this, like a weird humming sound. Okay. Obviously, it was some kind of other language. That and they then there was like a translation or something going on somehow. But they weren't able to understand that. When, oh, they, when they, they were talking to each other. When they were oh, talking sorry. to each yeah. other. So on April 5th, 1964, Betty and Barney were anxious to go because they were told at the last session that they were going to maybe be able to start listening to the tapes, the recordings of them talking, which is different. Thinking that it would help bring forth even more things consciously. Mm -hmm. They were able to listen together with a doctor over several sessions in these 15 minute intervals. So each frame could be discussed. It helped them to piece together parts that were still missing. For instance, they concluded that the beeping is what put them in and took them out of a translite state okay. that affected their memory. Okay. The broken strap of the binoculars mentioned in the beginning, Barney remembered that when he was looking through them, looking up and seeing mm-hmm. the leader's eyes and hearing him talk to him in his brain, that he pulled them down from his face with such force that it broke the strap across his neck. Okay. And that's why his neck was sore. The scuff marks on top of his shoes were from hitting his shoes on that bottom part of the door. 
twice going in mm-hmm. going in and going out of that room Barney remembered them having rather large shaped craniums that kind of diminished towards the chin. Their eyes were almond shaped that curved somewhat off to the sides of their heads. They did have pupils, but it seemed like they had a much wider vision than us. He also remembered that they did in fact have mouths. Okay. But that it just wasn't a super main feature for them. Tiny but it mouth. was more of like a straight horizontal line. They didn't have prominent lips. They only parted like very slightly with their mom, mom, mom. <laughs> I don't even know. So. No teeth. There's no teeth described. Mm-hmm. Their skin was kind of bluish grayish. Mm-hmm. It kind of says the grays. But when I was listening to an actual interview from Betty, she said that they were very much more human like than anything else than portrayed. Gray. Okay. Their noses were smaller than ours. So you actually just kind of saw the slits. Okay. And their ears did not protrude like ours. They had no hair and they did have a broader chest cavity. The leader was able to calm Barney down from the other room. So like this telepathic thing that we were talking about and just talking from the ship. He could sense when fear was rising in Barney Mm -hmm. and was able to speak to him. Whereas Betty had him physically there to like help her. Right. Betty slightly remembers that the leader and the examiner or this doctor person that was working on them, that they looked slightly different than the rest of them. They were taller and their skin was just a slightly different color. The rest were shorter. Okay. I think that they were even smaller than her. That I think that's why they call him the leader because it's almost like maybe they were of a different race race yeah or just like us here you know some people are taller than other people i don't know she did say that other than the leader and this examiner that she had counted about nine who she called the crew who would stay out in the corridor and just kind of do things that were asked of them barney actually doesn't remember any of them looking different from each other He does think that they were all the same, but he kept his eyes closed for almost the entire time. He only peeked every now and then. And for the most part, the leader was in the other room. So I don't really feel like he can say as much as she can because he his eyes were closed. What they both agreed on is that the table that they were made to lie on was much shorter than a normal human sort of like table. For him, his legs just kind of dangled off. (laughs) That's uncomfortable. Yeah. The rooms were triangular, like a piece of pie with a tip cut off. Okay. There were no windows. Everything looked like some sort of metal or plastic, and everything had a white tone to it. Okay. They didn't notice any smells, and they could breathe just fine inside. The temperature wasn't too drastic. It was just colder in the ship than it was outside. Okay. Overall, they listened to themselves kind of in disbelief. They couldn't believe that it was them talking on the tapes, but it helped to bring so much more into view for them. Mm -hmm. It was kind of frightening. They were feeling the relief that pieces of their life were finally kind of being put back together as one, rather like this big jump that they're just missing now. Right. It's more comforting when you know. Dr. Simon watched them closely throughout these sessions and asked them to really consider if this was all fantasy. (laughs) Okay. He really is a doubter, huh? (laughs) Well, because he can't put his name to something as a psychiatrist and say, yes, it was aliens. (laughs) And then everybody's like, oh, you're a crackpot. Yeah. They tried. They actually really did try. But they knew what they experienced. And it all being a fantasy was 
like to them, it was a fantasy to consider that it was a fantasy. They're right. like, well, this is what I experienced. Like to already write it They're off. Like, like it would that. be nice to consider that it wasn't real, but it was too fantastic. <laughs> and now their memories are present and it, now it's a part of them. Now yeah. it's like something they remember and because you brought it out of them. Yes. However, they all three agreed that there would be no true conclusion to it all because there is no such thing that has ever been recorded to compare it to. Okay. So he can't say that. Reality or illusion. For Barney and Betty, it was reality. And for Dr. Simon, he couldn't conclude either way because of how incredulous it yeah, all was. Yeah, it's a crazy story. They decided to stop treatment and just sort of check in with each other. Treatment lasted until June 27th, 1964. He did keep in touch with them and checked in on their progress until summer of 1965, but was surprised when a reporter, John Luttrell, had found out about their experience and threatened to release the information he had with or without formal interviews. These sneaky little people. Reporters. Dr. Simon and the Hills refused to meet with him, and he did release a series of articles in the Boston Traveler, on the week of October 25th, 1965, it started as the front page cover. Of course, it's a great story. Called UFO Chiller, Did They Seize the Couple? <laughs> <laughs> the Hills were very upset and they felt that it distorted the truth, but the yeah. articles grabbed a lot of attention. Betty and Barney didn't want to tell their story. At this point, it had been almost five years since their experience and they didn't want anyone to know and only spoke about it with close friends or those that they actually sort of worked with yeah. to understand this. They didn't want to be seen as kooks right? and were worried about their reputation. They only sought out help because of the emotional stress it was causing them and to fill in the pieces. But after the articles came out to stop the drama and others from writing about them, they decided to take it into their own hands and publish the truth of their yeah. experience. So here enters John Fuller. He was investigating UFOs in the New Hampshire area and was working on a book. He was skeptical himself at the time, but in 1965 alone, Fuller had met with and interviewed around 60 people who had claimed to see UFOs at the treetops in New Hampshire. And after much research and confirmation from police, radar men, Air Force pilots, Coast Guardsmen, and Navy personnel, they all corroborated the reports. He had heard about the Hills from someone, but didn't think it was worth reaching out to them at first. However, the Hills somehow found out about what he was doing in the area and reached out to him. At the time, Fuller was actually conducting a lot of his research from the local police station, as that was sort of the hub that these sightings, like the calls would end up coming to. And Betty Hill often frequented the police station because she was a social worker Mm -hmm. and had cases to check in on with the police. She first approached him simply by saying they could offer more details for his research. Betty knew of other UFO incidents in the area and was referring him to those people and said nothing about her own case at the time. Knowing that she had an experience herself, which he heard from someone else, he thought it was interesting but figured that she wasn't ready to talk about it, so he didn't bring it up. This introduction into John Fuller and his meeting, Betty Hill, all happened before the articles came out. Oh, okay. So this is interesting. Yeah. Once they did, they wanted him to write their story. Yeah. And with that, requested all of Dr. Simon's records, including the hypnosis recordings. They wanted everything to be available to this person. Right. They wanted to control the narrative now. Yeah. 
With Simon's agreement to release the information, they all worked together to make sure the authentic story was told using the recordings. That culminated in the book, The Interrupted Journey, published in 1966, which I read and which provided much of the information in this episode. The Hills wanted to put it all out there and to leave it to the reader to decide, much like we do on this podcast. Always. (laughs) Every episode. (laughs) They weren't too interested in convincing people about their own judgment, but rather to allow their story to be made public to stop other sources from giving fragmented, kooky versions that just were not true. Right. This book caused a lot of hype at the time, understandably, and many respected, well-educated, important people came out to speak on the Hill's behalf. And many scientists gathered in many different ways to discuss their experience and launch new initiatives to study UFOs and life on other planets. So it had quite an impact. Then. It had a huge impact. J. Allen Hynek, chairman of the Department of Astronomy at Northwestern University, met with the Hills and also wrote a book called The UFO Experience in 1972. See why they're the OGs? They are, It's yeah. literally like ufo experience and the rest has to be explained yes so they weren't hypnotized just by dr simon they were hypnotized again and again and again by different Different doctors people at this point because they're like well we can't just trust one right so let's do it again and let's do it again and they told the same story every time makes it very credible it's so much more credible than the fucking lie detectors that we keep bringing up yeah yeah Heineck and other scientists discussed their case at length and concurred with Dr. Simon that there is no basis for fabrication or lying. They were well-respected, hardworking, intelligent people. They had nothing to gain from a hoax and did their due diligence individually to find out what happened to them and originally planned to never talk about it with anyone other than their close friends and family. Right. Staten Friedman, a nuclear physicist and the nation's only space scientist devoting full time to researching UFO phenomenon at the time, spent countless hours speaking with the Hills. And he said, by no stretch of the imagination could anyone who actually knows them conclude that they were nuts. Right. (laughs) They don't sound. yeah, Yeah. No. As word got around and interest grew in the scientific community, Marjorie Fish, an Ohio school teacher, amateur astronomer, and member of Mensa, became involved in 1966. We've got the kitty making noises. She's if you making hear that. lots of noises <laughs> and she's distracting the crap out of me right now. <laughs> so she became involved when she questioned if Betty's map represented an actual pattern of celestial objects. Mm. So, yes, Betty ended up drawing part of that map that she saw on the ship under a post-hypnotic suggestion. It led to investigations of other stars that might have Earth-like planets. This led to what is known today as the Zeta Reticuli incident. Okay. Terrence Dickinson said, A faint pair of stars, 220 trillion miles away, has been tentatively identified as the home base of intelligent extraterrestrials who allegedly visited Earth in 1961. The hypothesis is based on a strange, almost bizarre series of events mixing astronomical research with hypnosis, amnesia, and alien humanoid creatures. The two stars are known as Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 reticuli, or together as simply Zeta reticuli. They are each fifth magnitude stars, barely visible to the unaided eye, located in the obscure southern constellation Reticulum, 
This southerly sky location makes Zeta Reticuli invisible to observers north of Mexico City's latitude. Okay. There's a lot of space in Star Talk. Yeah. Like, this is a whole other episode. One article on this just lasted forever. Ever and ever. Yeah. So I'm going to try and sum it up, and I'm not that scientific. <laughs> Me so neither. if there's some star face people listening, sorry, maybe I did okay. <laughs> So Fish created models to see if what Betty drew could be located and match anything else we can find. And she noted 16 stars that are remarkably close to the stars in Betty's drawings. Okay. All of which are solar type stars. The radiating pattern of trade routes implies that Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 reticuli are the hub of exploration in the context of the incident the alien's home base. Okay. The sun is at the end of one of the supposedly regular trade routes. The pair of stars that make up the Zeta Reticuli is practically in the midst of a cluster of solar-type stars. Many scientists reviewed Fish's findings compared to Betty's map and could find no errors. Now that's crazy. Although, nothing can ever be certain. (laughs) Because I feel like, I think I read somewhere when you're dealing with space, it's like a thousand to one at minimum, what you're guessing. Right. Something <laughs> like that. So there's a there's always for error. <laughs> but Frank Salisbury of the University of Utah, he also examined the hill and fish maps. He said that the pattern of the stars discovered by Marjorie Fish fits the map drawn by Betty Hill remarkably well. It's a striking coincidence and it forces one to take the hill story more seriously. Okay. I mean, think about it. Was she just guessing? And I mean, just you can't just make up, that shit up. It just ended up being something. They're like, right. we can match that. I mean, if you think about it, any dots people draw on a map, it's probably going to match some kind of... I mean, in the stars. Yeah. And there's billions of stars. So <laughs> exactly. yeah, true. It might. But I think the reason why this was a big thing, and I didn't really go into it, is that it was within reasonable light year distance to okay. us. As far as imagining... A higher species being able to get to, to us. get here. Yeah. This is within the reach of what they think. Yeah. People well above Happening. us yes. and their ability. It was within so many light years that they're like, okay, this is possible. They could have come here. Right. And maybe that's why the alien man was like, ha ha ha. Probably never again because we can only come here once <laughs> in your lifetime. <laughs> in a hundred years. Old which, lady. Yeah. Or something like that. Makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. To them. Or maybe none of this exists and it's a firmament. Firmament. I don't know. I want to believe that these sky people are out there. I want to meet these sky people. That reminds me of Avatar. Oh no, we're the sky people. Sky people are bad. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Dang it. Nevertheless, I think this is exciting. It was really fun to read about. Yeah, this is like, I knew nothing about this case, but like this is so detailed and interesting and seems very credible. They had no one else at the time to copy this off of. No. Overall, the Hills became very interested in the universe themselves. Of course. They wanted to know more, anything that could be known. They were both more confident in themselves and free of anxiety this was anxiety that literally crippled them at one point. Yeah. and But they still stayed together. And I think that's really, really cool. So the wedge did not get driven between them. The wedge did them. not. He was wrong. The leader was wrong. Good. So they had also more tolerance for new ideas. Mm-hmm. The experience in therapy, although it took a long time to sort through, which I felt gave them even more credibility. Yes. It ultimately landed them in a brand new world, sort of. A new view of everything in life. It changed their lives. So believe their experience or not, their story defined a genre. 
and theirs was not an isolated event. More has come out over the years confirming at least what they saw and others who have come out describing their abduction experiences. Heck, more has come out in the last year. True. Than all my time on this earth that I can remember. For me, though, I don't feel like there are that many stories about actual abductions. That's what I loved about this. Getting to read the details from inside because it's always this like abstract like, oh, they were probed, like they went up and they were probed and like, you know, they came back down or they went up and something happened. But this was so detailed and I loved the almost comical interaction between Betty and this leader and that they were really more human-like, yeah, which we somewhat expect at some points, but they're just like, dude, we got to do some tests. Like that's what we're here for. You know, you won't remember. It's all right. Like we're going to scrape your skin in here and and get it over with, you know, and what's yellow? (laughs) I still think the guy was fucking with her. I mean, it could be either way. It is off of Betty's memory and experience there. Yeah. But now I want to meet the leader and he's probably, I don't know. He didn't know what age was. So maybe he's still I mean, he's probably on his way back right now. It's just taken him, you know, 150 years. She did say that at one point she waved out the car window and she's like, hi, like in the very beginning, because she felt that it was kind of a UFO. Right. And she was one of those people probably like us. That's like, ooh, an experience. Please take me. (laughs) I want to meet you. She's just like, ooh, this is cool. Something's happening to me. I'm just a social worker. Right. She's like, this is going to be a good story. Yeah. So Betty and Barney were highly accepted and respected by the UFO community. But sadly, as Betty tried to explain to the leader, we grow old and we die. We do. In 1969, which wasn't That wasn't very long after. Barney passed away. This is only eight years after. Right. So he wasn't that old. I'm trying to think. He was born in 1922. And it was 69? 69. That's 47. It wasn't that I much I hope it wasn't longer. radiation. Well, they were worried about radiation. Yeah. That's very young. It was sad for her because she had to live essentially like 35 years without him. Yeah. She suffered from polyps in her vocal cords. They required surgical remover and it left her with a raspy voice and kind of like a different sort of tone to it. Right. She ended up continuing to give interviews and she spoke at events and she did this until her own death in 2004. Okay. And she died of cancer. But at that point, I think she was like 85. Right. So she lived a long life. That's awesome. Even with polyps and cancer. That's what's crazy to me sometimes is that people can die so young and then people can live so long, even with the same type of ailments. It's all about your genetics and how your body reacts. And some are more susceptible to the more negative effects than others, I guess. She had to keep telling this story by herself for 35 years. I'm sure she missed Barney all the time. And she couldn't have children, I think, of her own. No. So hopefully she had a happy life. Hopefully she had lots of Dotsons. She might have had lots of doggies. <laughs> we'll never know with absolute certainty what happened to them. But on September 19th and 20th of 1961, they did have an unbelievably extraordinary experience either way. And the impact of their story, it lives on and it fueled everything, literally everything that we see today in media and right. television and movies. Yes. I mean, like I brought up like ancient aliens. You can go back that far, but this is like modern time. Right. And Betty and Barney were truly like the first shared, detailed, like extremely detailed, original alien abduction story. 
that we know today. It's awesome. And to me, the fact that they weren't out trying to tell their story, they were very reluctant about telling their story makes me really believe that it happened. I do too. I do believe it. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in the firmament or not, they were from underground. I don't care. They came and got them somehow. They're whoever created the firmament. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Somebody has to create it. (laughs) It didn't just come from nothing. Yeah. So, and I want to meet the leader because he sounds like a good time. Yeah. I want to dance with him to some songs. (laughs) (laughs) He'd probably laugh at you. It sounds like, it sounds like he just laughs at people for their silliness. Like, oh, you silly little thing. Aren't you on Broadway? (laughs) He's like, why don't you know everything about the universe? And then she's like, why don't you know what yellow is? Exactly. You're not so smart, mister. What's a squash? (laughs) You don't know what food is. What did they eat? And he's probably like, I do know. I know exactly what's in your stomach right now and exactly the percentage of what's in your stomach. I would have loved if she was like, well, what do you eat? And he's like, little children. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Dogs. He probably, yeah. He probably would have said stardust. (laughs) He would have said something that she didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Oh, that sounds good. Is that squishy or hard? (laughs) 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 Breakfast or lunch or dinner? You never hear about any abductions talking about like a kitchen area, so they must not eat much. Well, you know, she only saw this room. They both did in this corridor area, so they didn't get like a a tour of the ship. Yeah, they don't give you that much. But dang it, can you imagine if she came back with a book? That would have been really, really awesome. And they would have been like, this is fake. They're like, you made this up. I you think made she this described whole new it as up. being really thick, too. Yeah. And the leader's like, sure, you can have it. And then the other little guys I mean, that makes me think like, he's no, no. so sweet. I know. He's like, well, of course you can have it, you or else crazy was, little lady. Once again, he was just fucking with her. And then at the end, he's like, nope, you can't have it. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm going off of how she experienced it. Yeah. And she was mad, but he was like, oh, sweet, honey. Here, it have a book. A, <laughs> it was a decided thing. And no, no, you can't. Sorry, you can't have anything. You have to convince everyone this happened with absolutely zero proof. <laughs> and she's like, watch me. And she did. Yeah, I believe her. Yeah. Like, I didn't include everything that I... Yeah. But she was like, watch me. I'm going to freaking remember. I'm going to remember everything. Uh-huh. And, and he's she like, did. And look what happened. And now she's gone. Look what she's done. Her legacy lives on. Okay, so to me, this story and her talking about him saying that they forget makes me... You know, I just said that there weren't that many stories of abductions out there. That's maybe why people are getting abducted all the time. They're remembering like pieces of it and saying, you know, like, I know something came to my window. I feel like I've been abducted, but they can't remember the details. This kind of gives credibility to that in a way. Researching this whole thing. You know what I really want to do? What? Be hypnotized. And find out that you were abducted by aliens. I have memories missing from my life. Yeah. Then you should get hypnotized. Specifically, like from my childhood, for some reason, even though nothing that I can think of yeah. would have happened. But just even I've heard that under hypnosis, they can affect your behavior and just, you know, a lot of cool things they can uh, do. I'm like, I have self-control, but at the same time, a little nudge in this way. I'm too busy. Can you give me a little self-confidence to go in this direction for a second? Yeah. <laughs> like it sounds great. But one of the biggest things is they really did testify to having a very experienced psychologist to do this. Right. Because after they went through all of the emotions that they went through, they left being really worried of what would have happened if they had someone who was not really up to the task and what emotional damage would have happened to them. That's what's scary is that there are a lot of, you know, so-called hypnotic experts out there. But where did they learn? Did they just, you know, take an online course? (laughs) I mean... 
But that's so you ex- want a very experienced person to mess with your mind. I know. And that's exactly what Dr. Simon says, though. He gave this lecture. Simon he, says, ha ha. He said, anyone can hypnotize. That's scary. And then he said, also, anyone can be hypnotized. That always makes me think that if someone really wanted to learn and they're evil fucking people, they could do some s- my God. serious damage. Like, I'm not putting it out there, but that is very scary. Hopefully no evil people are listening to our podcast. Just to remind myself of this, I remember reading, too, that at one point when he started letting Betty and Barney listen together, yeah. because in the beginning, if you remember, he gave them these keywords that made it easier for him to put them, put them back, yeah, put them back in. And at one point, they were listening to the keyword like on the recording and, and Betty put him into it and Betty just went Bleh. and he's That's like oh crap fucking crazy <laughs> so he had to rehypnotize them during the recording tell them you only listen to the cue words if I give it to you face to face wow so that that wouldn't happen again but that was creepy I'm like literally what happens if someone out there what just if you're says just out in the grocery word? store and somebody somebody says, says, says that word <laughs> yeah you just fall bloop. over <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of robots and that's creepy too anyway well i really enjoyed hearing this story because I like i said it. it was cool i saw it and i was wondering more about it and i think we added it to the list after we did travis walton we're like we need more abduction stories because yeah. these are really cool so i'm glad we got another little green men or little gray i mean blue, it turned whatever. into like this very like i don't know professional alien story is very kind of what yes. it felt like very different not than so others. crazy mm-hmm. you know i liked it but i really did like it again because i got to hear what actually happened like this detail and it's right. not a movie mm-hmm. this is back in the day it had some comedy yeah it did i love that she punched one of them i love that too <laughs> betty was a badass i like betty <laughs> Me and her could hang, I think. She had more than her husband. He's just like I passed mean, out. <laughs> even in videos of her older, like like in her 70s and 80s, she still had the same she amount of a little fire. Yeah. yeah, she had <laughs> a little bit of fire to her. I love it. Yeah, I liked it. So that's it, folks. Well, thank you all. Jet off. All. I don't know. And now we go through our, you know, closing. I mean, it's all the typical stuff. TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Facebook. Instagram. You can email us at lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. And mail us at Kendra Can You P.O. Box 251. Yep. East Lake, Colorado. Yes. I don't know the rest. 80614. Okay. 80614. And then please, 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 please give us some comments and some ratings on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get more visibility out there and, yes, and gather more of you wonderful followers. Yes. And we'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday moving forward with new exciting episodes. Thank you so much. What do we say in UFO terms to say see beep you later? Beep boop. <laughs> Not beep bop boop. That's more like a robot. Robot. <laughs> Live long and prosper. You can't see my hands because I can't actually do it. But there you go. Bye. She's doing it. <laughs> I'm the Star Trek nerd. Live long and prosper. Stay lucid. Stay lucid. Beep bop boop.